stories of addiction, depression, self-harm, heartache, war, fear, and hopelessness echoed in his mind. Every night, a fan would share a different story. Although Jake was the well-recognized frontman of August Burns Red, he was at a loss for how to help. He wasn't a mental health specialist, and he screamed into a mic for a living. Not exactly the picture of expertise his fans needed. Deep in thought and prayer, all Jake knew was that something had to change. Heart support is about building a place where people can come together as they are while exploring healing. They provide relevant resources to an increasingly digital generation, teaching them to give back and help others grow stronger together. Every year, they help men and women brave their wounds, find purpose, and discover healing. Their goal is to create a legacy, a term we often use, of life transformation, freeing them from suicide, addiction, abuse, and mental health issues while empowering them with the realization they are loved unconditionally and supported by a community that believes in them. You know, it's long been our goal at the Veterans Project to not just create awareness through storytelling, but to generate an actionable process where our community gets the much-needed mental health resources it needs to find healing. We hear that number of 22 a day all the time, but what are we doing to put an end to that? Through our relationship with Heart Support, we believe that restoration can be just around the corner. To learn more and find out how you can help, send us an email at info at heartsupport.com. It's a rough road at times. Those who've been to combat know it well, and those life experiences either strengthen your resolve or ultimately leave you feeling lost. That sense of purpose through the hard times is something granted through serving others. Cody Alford lived that sense of service in many ways, first through a storied career in the Marine Corps, and then on the other side of that space in transition out of the Corps. But he didn't find it right away. It took time and soul-searching, out with the old and in with the new. He bought the new house and the cars to go with it, then ditched it all, lived the nomad life in search to find a new way, and with that, a return to the sense of purpose we all desire. Nowadays, he finds himself in a similar role in a completely different capacity. And that all might sound confusing unless you understand Cody's ideals. If you get to know the man, the Marine, the leader, you'll better understand his vision. We defy a mantra, an ideology, a quest to break down the internal barriers of lacking purpose. It's an all-encompassing idea that seeks the betterment of self so that those feeling lost can find their tribe. Alfred's confidence in creating that space for others has allowed them to find their own voice. His beliefs are earthed in the idea that in the long run, the collective is more robust through first finding one's own fortitude. Fear of failure is the fundamental enemy, and Alfred is seeking a scourge in order to create a new order of warriors ready to push the fight to that enemy. The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project Podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay. Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. My name is Tim Kay. I'll be your host as always. Today with me here, we've got a new friend. I say this a lot of times, but <laughs> a new friend. 
Cody Alford. Uh, you know, you know, I've been watching your stuff for a long time, Cody. First of all, I just want to say it's a privilege to have you on. Uh, thanks for being here, and uh, thanks for having me at your house over these past few days. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, man, we enjoyed it. Thank you. Sandpoint, beautiful. Didn't know much about this part of Idaho. Uh, I don't know what I pictured. I guess Ruby Ridge, and uh, all that went on with that. But it's beautiful out here. It's stunning. It's an incredible space. And I can see why freedom-loving people come to this area for sure. Uh, it's pretty rad. So, But I, I, I've been watching your stuff with We Defy the Norm uh, and your van life. And I was very envious at the time because I didn't have that van life. I was traveling around in a 2013 Scion TC, sleeping out of my hatchback, peanut butter and jelly, ramen, just trying to survive, you know. Uh, but... I, what 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 brought you to that place? You know, you had a long storied career in the Marine Corps. Uh, you did incredibly well in your time in the Marine Corps. You were everything that a Marine wanted to be. And stepping into that space of van life and escaping that, wh- what was a young Cody Alford like? What what led your path to the Marine Corps? First of all, uh, I always like wanted to be like a GI Joe growing up. You know, like something like that. Uh, I originally wanted to be a Ranger. I think it was like this first poster I ever saw in like kindergarten or something like that. And, you know, because there wasn't like phones and internet. There was posters, billboards, and every now and then a commercial on TV. And so that kind of got my attention. And then I watched this movie Sniper with Tom Berenger and (laughs) that like set over the top. And I was always watching like everything I could on like special operations, special forces, you know, like uh, French Ford Legion, all these types of things. At least when I was growing up as a kid, it was like always on the History Channel, Discovery Channel. Not always, but I'd always kind of seeked it out and uh, kind of built this library, uh, you know, of like imagination from watching all these things. And I realized I wanted to be a sniper. Then I realized the Marine Corps is the only one that had scout sniper, you know, that extra word. And so I'm like, all right, do this. I got to do this, you know. And then watching all the history it talks about like how hard it is and you know, not a high success rate. And it was just like really interesting to realize that, dude, people actually go do this and they pass these hard things. And I'm like, dude, I'm doing that. That's what I want to do. So I kind of just set out to pursue that, you know, when I turned 18 and joined the service. What do you think it was though about your home life? Did your parents have an effect on that and your path? Or did you, did you feel that that was groomed into you from a young age or were you just always looking for adventure? No, my dad was a Marine. He never talked about it. Um, typical insert that version of a old story that you hear about. Mm-hmm. It was never never anything bad or good. I heard a few like boot camp stories here and there, and he talked around his friends every now and then, but that was very few and far between. And my mom never talked about anything. Uh, I guess I guess just kind of like assumed that I was into that stuff. I was always trying to do like. Like, I wanted to do, like, ROTC, but they didn't have it in my school. I was always into, like, this, like, police ROTC type of thing. Anything I could do to, like, touch a rifle, wear a uniform, march around. Like, I felt like it was just, like, one step closer to, like, what I wanted to do. There was honestly nothing really. I just like playing G.I. Joe, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. When I'm an American kid. I, I enjoyed war movies. Not, you know, I enjoyed them from what they were. I just, I just watched stuff. I liked the action. And um, I realized that dude, I can be anything I want to be and this is what I want to be and nothing else even like popped. There was like never a, like a runner up or a backup plan. There was never thought to be an astronaut, you know, doctor or a lawyer. Like nothing sounded cool to me. Just I wanted to do this and 
Nothing was changed in that. That's awesome. So, how, how old were you when you joined? 18? Uh, 17. Uh, I went to boot camp right at 18. I turned 18 a few days later, and um, I, I was kept on going to the recruiter station, so my parents like finally signed the document, and because I wanted to secure my 0311 contract, and I wanted to, like, you know, just, dude, I wanted to, like, do everything I could to, like, get to where I was going, so, and that was part of it, and, yeah, dude. What a ride. <laughs> Grunt things. <laughs> Grunt things. Well, that was the only that was the only way to become a scout sniper. Um, you couldn't just enlist to go to sniper school or anything. And so I saw my best route was to go 0311, which is an infantry rifleman, and that's what I did. Yeah. So so what was it like getting into boot camp? Was it everything you thought it would be? Jumping yeah. into the Marine Corps? Yeah. The boot camp part was pretty on par with what I thought I'd be getting into. I mean, once again, I watched... Anything and everything I could on Marine Corps Boot Camp and not to game the game. I was just so infatuated with this stuff, you know, like I was just really interested uh, in all of it. And so I went out of my way and made time to like fantasize about this like career life experience that I was, you know, wanting to do one day. And so when I got to boot camp, I remember like seeing those yellow footprints. And I was just so stoked because I saw that in like plenty of movies and now I'm there actually <laughs> experiencing it. Except for like, it's not the same because like, you're like, shit, I'm actually kind of tired and hungry and <laughs> I kind of don't know what I'm getting into, but this is exciting at the same time. Oh shit. Like I'm one of those stories now. And you know, so that part was really, it was really cool to like live out that like fantasy almost, you know, like see it all come to fruition and, um, there's a few things about boot camp that I think that sucked, um, but I mean it was just it was a means to an end. You know, yeah. this was like the 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 entry you know level discomfort I needed to go through to get to what I wanted. You know, so yeah, I kind of enjoyed it actually. You knew that that was the jumping off point for your career, and that that wasn't just where you would stay. Yeah, like I saw like my vision inside of the Marine Corps. You know, I saw past boot camp way before I ever went to boot camp, you know, mm-hmm. I just knew boot camp was like a stopping point or a checkpoint I had needed to go through to get to the next phase. But yeah, I, even as a 17 year old, 16 year old kid, I never, I always looked past, you know, I was thinking about being a sniper school, building a ghillie suit or something. You know, I was always like at a next level thinking ahead because dude, I was committed. Yeah. It was not, a, it's not a question. It's just a matter of like, okay, when am I going to go? I noticed that in, everything you do like a representation you know your marine corps career is a representation of everything you've done outside of the marine corps as well you're not just looking at that one staple point stop there let's do this it's always another step beyond that 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 extra layer that extra step did did you see a difference between you and your comrades that were joining you could tell the difference between you wanting more and guys that you know weren't necessarily trying to go on and make it a career or yeah that's a great question and observation at the same time because you know i think there's a big misconception with a lot of people that join the military like oh this is it they were born to do this like no <laughs> some guys and gals just you know better on themselves took a whim wanted college wanted an experience wanted a camaraderie wanted a team wanted a family what in citizenship it was all these different reasons uh but i could definitely tell that the guys uh that saw themselves past boot camp, you know, saw themselves as leaders or as, you know, young recon guys before they even became a Marine or, or whatever their story was inside their mind. You could definitely see those guys, how they stood apart compared to other people who were like, they're just in kind of like survival mode, which is not a bad thing. They're just taking boot camp day by day, 
you know, I'm thinking about graduation. I'm thinking about like, damn, when, you know, I can't, can't wait for my 10 days of leave. Oh shit. I can't wait to drink a Mountain Dew. And <laughs> oh man, I'm going to get my, all these tattoos when I get to the Marines and like, or to my unit. Like I'm, I'm thinking further, you know, because yeah. boot camp is pretty boring. You know, it's just a big indoctrination party, basically. And, you know, there's a lot of great things that happen there, you know, camaraderie, teamwork, discipline, um, all these things that are, you know, are required to mold anyone into a, you know, instant obedience to order organization, you know, or, 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 or piece of the pie. And so that aspect is, I always find interesting because it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, boot camp, boot camp was exciting because I remember, you know, as a young kid, there wasn't a lot of like hype, you know, you kind of like hyped around like high school, like who was going to be, who was the cool kids, who were not the cool kids. And there was a lot of talk back then, but there was not like the talk there is nowadays, like with social media. Uh, but dude, back then there was a lot of like, a lot of hype about joining the military and a lot of people did not just do that. No, people didn't do it. A lot of talk. And so being there with just like few guys that actually, you know, went to high school with or, you know, met that were like that few from their school that actually joined it did something. It was pretty, it made it even more interesting because you realize how you're already a small nugget. You realize how many misconceptions are about the military and you realize that everyone is there for a different reason. Oh yeah. And Hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from here. Oh dude, I'm going to be the guide. You know, I'm going to be in charge. And you're like, yeah, right, bro. I'm going to be in charge. And like <laughs> you, you find out who the leaders are instantly because there's hungry people and there's people that are just waiting in line. We're yeah. waiting to be served food and there's people out there actually getting the food, you know? Right. Yeah. You, um, where'd you go when you got to your unit? Who, who were you with? Uh, second battalion, first Marines, first Marine division. So okay. I was right outside of Camp Horno, Camp Pendleton, California. Hmm. And, and how long were you into your career before you first got deployed? Uh, I think it was probably like seven, six, seven months or so. Okay. Yeah. Not too long. Where was that to? Uh, to Iraq. Iraq. Yeah. In what part? Uh, Fallujah. Fallujah. Yeah. Was this Phantom Fury 1 or 2? This was uh, Inherent. No, that's Inherent Resolve is the new Iraq. What was the old one? Um, not OIF? F- yeah. One or two? Two. Two. Um, it was right before Phantom Fury, I think, was like the last part of Fallujah. It was the first one. So, it was... Uh, oh, man. Vigilant Resolve. Okay, Vigilant Resolve. I think that's what it was called. It was a Phantom, Phantom Fury was a the closing out Fallujah, I believe. It was the one right before it. So Vigilant or something. I don't know. Insert some name before <laughs> some cool Phantom name. Fury. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, this was like uh, March time frame, two thousand four. So January, March, so beginning of the year of uh, two thousand four uh, for Fallujah. Uh, March to October, specifically March. Yeah, to October. Yeah. What was it? What was it like when you got there? Was that everything that you thought it would be? Honestly, I wasn't really... That's one thing I wasn't really... I never really mapped out in my head, like, combat. Because, one, I had no concept of it. Two, you know, I was, I was, I was brought up, be careful what you wish for. And I was brought up, you know, how, you know, killing is not cool. And I was brought up that, like, war kind of sucks. The yeah. thing is, I want to do a job and there's... This is the price you pay to do your job, right? This mm-hmm. is how you do your job. So, I'm, it's kind of like a... Well, I can't complain about it. You know, this this is kind of it. I really wasn't knowing what to expect. Our training definitely wasn't uh, preparing us for Fallujah. We were doing some uh, like SASO operation training, which is uh, safety and stability operations or something like that. It's like a hugs and kisses martial law yeah. uh, type of concept. And it was completely different. Fallujah, 
was a 180 from this training evolution. And I think that was like interesting and a culture shock for everybody. Cause there was a few guys from OAF one that were there in this battalion and that everyone else is a boot, you know, boot, boot had a big boot drop. Mm. Um, and I was part of that big mm. boot drop. So yeah, it was definitely interesting. The army was there, the 101st airborne and, the, and some air force unit was there and, they got kind of beat up towards their way out. They're just getting like abused mm-hmm. of, you know, by the battlefield doing recce patrols and just catching some bad grenades and just things that you're like, damn, these guys are about to be out the door and they're still like taking it, you know? And I think that was a real, not shock, but like a big wake up for a lot of the guys in my unit to include myself. Cause, uh, right when we got there, we started doing, um, uh, recce patrols with the uh, scouts from the army. So a few of our snipers went out with them. And that's actually like when a couple of our guys got hit with a grenade, like on their first day to the district center to do overwatch mission with the army range, uh, the army guys doing like a left seat, right seat about uh, like a f- couple weeks before they roll out. And they took this like random small arms fire and grenade and first day in the city. And like, you know, we're already down two guys in our very small platoon already for snipers. And uh, it kind of like set the tone of like, yo, this is, this is this is real. This yeah. is this is crazy, and it kind of like progressively got more intense day by day. Uh, you know, IDF indirect fire, mortars. You know, uh, workers that were working for our base getting killed, uh, losing that outside source, um, going on water rations. You know, all sorts of things, and it made it. It was kind of interesting, but you're already used to like the Marine Corps standard, which is very low in the aspects of like comfort. Right. Um, very high in the aspects of like discipline and like get the job done. And so it's like, Oh look, we had three, I remember it was like three bottles of water a day you had. And that was to, you know, hygiene, cook, drink, you know, all this type of stuff. And it wasn't a lot, but it was just, it was kind of like, it was just fun. I mean, dude, it was weird. I'm, I'm 18 years old. This is the, I'm like big boy camping. And, Still, I'm not really understanding like where I'm at and like what's going on. I'm like, I'm not an idiot, but I'm also like, uh, you know, unaware of like the damn hornet's nest that's like <laughs> just out there, yeah. you know, because it took a few weeks before we actually like went out and like actually went into the city. And, um, yeah, what an interesting, uh, still to date, like my most interesting deployment I've ever been on. Yeah. Yeah. What was it? Um, what was it like when you got there, when you went into the city and you started doing the job, kicking down doors? Uh, there was no kicking down doors with me. Mm. Um, my team was basically tasked with like going in front of the battalion and establishing overwatch positions and uh, relaying you know, information back to the battalion commander and the company commander and then, then form- formulate their decisions. And so, a lot of the buildings that we were rolling through were unconstructed or being constructed still. So, we weren't really dealing with any uh, um, barriers, really just open doors access. And city was pretty quiet. I mean, before we went to the city, they, the C-130s were dropping, like, uh, air campaigns, you know, dropping flyers, telling them to get out of the city unless you're a fighter. If you're a fighter, stay. Um, really trying to, like, minimize civilian casualties and kind of prep the battle space for what's coming because it was definitely coming. And it was, it was weird. It's quiet until it wasn't quiet. And when it got loud, it got extremely loud. And then, uh, there was always be those quiet breaks between prayer time. And then it would always just, it would just pick back up. And so we found out very quickly, you know, like what a routine would be like, you know, you have quiet hours and you have like extremely loud harassing hours slash violent slash murder, death, kill hours, you know, it just, it, it was like, all the compilation of books or movies you've ever seen, but you're living it out kind of thing. And 
maybe that was the same perception for a lot of people that were 18 years old. And this is the first experience. And a lot of these other guys, uh, from my understanding, the OIF-1 back in 2001 in Iraq, it was intense in certain areas, you know, it wasn't the same across the board. And there was definitely a mix match of like experiences from there. So, you know, this Fallujah experience, even for our first time deployer guys or our second time deployer guys, it was just a completely different environment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they went from vehicles and mop suits to on the ground, you know, walking in like a highly congested urban environment, which, you know, has, was prepped way before our time ever got there. I mean, these guys had, tunnel systems they had you know holes through walls to get through the whole city you know running through houses so you can't see anything overhead or you're not gonna see anyone like walk out front and you know caches pre-stage shooting murder holes pre-stage everywhere so it was it was like the hunger games it was already like a pre-stage battlefield for what was to come and at this time there wasn't a big significant you know push through the city uh probably a lot of just uh establishing cordons outside uh establishing a supply routes and really kind of setting the stage for, you know, what the, the mighty war army does, you know, when they roll into an area, you know, like creating the whole like battle space. And now we're bringing in the infantry to come do their specific, very specific job. And it was kind of interesting to watch it all unfold. Like the, at the time I wasn't looking in that way right. as I grew over in the, grew older in the military. I'm like, dude, that was like, <laughs> like chess. It was yeah. crazy and insane at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah. Did did you know how bad it would get? Did you know how violent it could get? Did you have some feeling? You know, obviously we've seen some of the videos and, you know, you've seen in YouTube some of these videos of, you know, actions that happened inside some of those buildings and how rough it could get. Did you, did you start to see that kick up and realize it was going to get bad? Yeah. I mean, my first day in the city, you know, around afternoon time, I got took a round right to the helmet oh, wow. in a gunfight across the street and... That kind of like set the stage for me like, oh, dude, this is like, I never thought it was fake. You know, I never was smiling at the time. <laughs> there was definitely times, you know, along this day on the first day, like, you know, I wanted to shoot my team shooting and I'm holding rear security and I know rear security is important, but at the same time, I'm just like, this is something new and it's like, I want to go experience this. I want to go do my part. And at the time I really realized, you know, I knew how important my, my six o'clock security was and at the same time, I'm still dodging bullets there. And later on this afternoon, you know, we get setting up an overwatch position and we get contact from across the street and I'm like back and forth with my uh, radio operator shooting out the window. Cause we're the only two with M 16s on the team. And this, our two snipers had a pistol and a bolt action, you know, not a very urban friendly uh, weapon platform. And so uh, as I go to, uh, I just finished my reload. As I go to pop out, I get domed in the helmet and have this like whole out of body experience, whole crazy chaotic thing. And, I come back to my team thought I was dead, but they didn't see any blood. And, you know, I'm calling in for like support and I'm just like, just butchering every transmission. <laughs> I'm saying break after like every breath that I'm taking. <clears throat> uh, and so after this whole ordeal went down, I'm just like, damn, this is crazy. You know, like I could have totally died there and I have, you know, seven plus more months of this, you know, or seven yeah. more months of this. I'm like, dude, this is insane. Um, and it definitely like made me <laughs> worry about my head being, cause I wasn't even turkey peeking yet in these times. I just, I'm like, do you gotta, you gotta use your head. Monoscopes were a thing, periscopes were a thing back then and not for us. Uh, and it was, it, it set the tone for me. You mm -hmm. know, I saw a few guys get killed and explosions happened that day and, uh, but still not really prepared what would, you know, be possible inside that city. Cause, 
at this time, you know, we're a few weeks in the country. We're we're not even testing waters. We're just executing, uh, in my opinion, now looking back, understanding mission planning and execution, uh, kind of like bad bad missions, right? Mm. Like bad bad planning led to, you know, poor communication, lack of phase lines, lack of limited advances, and you know, potential scenarios of blue on blue and crossfiring because you know heavy calibers and cordon off a city. You know, you know, just a lot of things that probably weren't taken consideration back in the day. But that's how we grow yeah. and learn and. Um, and you were probably just kind of working off of the army strategy at the time, right? Which you'd seen. They weren't really, because the, the 101st at the time wasn't really going in and correct blowing through the city. They were doing means. a lot of outside stuff, dealing with, with the, uh, like the district center where these meetings were taking place. I mean, it's still a dangerous environment, right? Any, anything is, da- if they give you guns and bullets, you're in a dangerous environment for the most part, right? Right. And, uh, so, yeah, it was completely different. There was really no tactics. I mean, hell, we didn't even have armor on our vehicles. We were, like, taking it from the Army. We were taking it from the Air Force, putting the blast blankets, filling our trucks with sandbags everywhere because we were like, dude, this is a crazy place. And, like, no one's – we're definitely not prepared for this. You know, <laughs> we can go We can go figure out the fight. But, you know, enhancing our survivability, that was a, obviously a main focus. Um, but, yeah, none of us really knew, and I still didn't even know after even that experience, what was coming inside that city and, like, how violent – like, death is violent, but, like, violence is violent. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was just a completely different, you know, seeing the whites of eyes is, is a completely different thing from the seeing guy, you know, 50 yards away. You know, it's still crazy close, like, when you when you actually think about the perspective, but seeing a, seeing a fucking head that you can make out, the skin, you know, like, the wrinkles, that's not very far from you, that's just... It's almost like the pugil stick thing. If you ever seen the Marine Corps boot camp, they like the two guys are like running at each other with the helmets and the the pugil sticks, like big cotton Q-tips, mm-hmm. and they're just beating each other. Like when you're in those types of scenarios, you know that close, it just really changes the game uh, because there is no questioning like what's happening. You know, it's it's fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do your job or don't. Be first or last, and it's. It's interesting and absolutely mind crazy at the same time. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's insane. There's no in-betweens. There's no shades of gray. Yeah. And it's not like cool or anything. It's just just different. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's always amazing to see how training can relate to such an extreme, uh, practical application. Right. You know, um, it's really crazy to see that because you got to think the first guy, how do they, how are we going to train these guys to kill in combat? You know, like we got to get them to, to instantly react, to, to think just enough to formulate a decision. And that's crazy when you go back and you look at all the training and then you're like, well, shit, well, once we, we, these guys get put in life or death situation, they're going to perform or they're not, you know, probably just like anybody because it's not, nothing's ever guaranteed. But it was just weird, 18 years old and now like my whole perception of life and time and reality is has already been screwed you know just skewed in the matter of like a week a couple weeks you know in in country actually being in the city and doing stuff and having these different experiences an out-of-body experience extreme violence experience i'm like bro this is i have how many more months of this it's like crazy you know it's it was just weird yeah yeah Talk about some of those actions inside the city when you started getting really kinetic and when things started really kicking off and the strategy changed. Uh, when the strategy changed, strategy changed, they basically said that, you know, we were going to take over some compounds and 
the other companies were basically going to like funnel guys towards us and the other uh, surrounding battalions in Fallujah, they were going to like push the fighters towards us and my battalion Two one was going to be the anvil essentially. And, um, just like hammered dudes as they, as they get like kind of like funneled our way. And so the company I was attached to echo company Two one, they were the main effort. They took over, they took over the few compounds that my sniper team and another sniper team would go to. And I mean, there's, you know, dead bodies everywhere uh, from them just taking, taking these buildings and, uh, but then the Marines are like just loading up their sandbags, you know, do what Marines do, just making their fighting positions like worth it, setting up like sleeping areas, priorities of work, basic stuff, right? And so that was really weird. So we weren't just navigating, we weren't just like blindly patrolling through the city. At this point in time, the, the whole status changed where we're staying in place and just, you know, stand to. Mm-hmm. And that part was pretty crazy because there was plenty of times there was like fish in the barrel, uh, just insane amount of like people being killed and you know uh fights that are happening and you're just like this is you're like making this up this is crazy Mm -hmm. but i mean violence is real and you know ideologies are insane you know like sometimes you just don't break an ideology so therefore you have people who are absolutely fearless in the craft that they're performing and you know you saw that on both sides the insurgent side and obviously the the military side people believe what they believe in and they put up all hells a fight and you know, something like that is crazy because you hear stories of bravery and courage, but it's really hard to like, I don't know, it, sometimes I think it's like hard to co- really comprehend those those things. And But seeing it firsthand, and to me, bravery and courage doesn't always have to be like they killed somebody or like something. It's really just showing up when they don't have to and they don't want to and no one's going to know. Mm-hmm. You know, they but they chose to like snap out of the funk and, and, and encourage people and move people around and like do their job and like... Because if people think that no one gets shell-shocked or no one, like, has these, like, oh, shit moments, you know, where they're kind of, like, slowing down, maybe thinking about something else or, you know, confused what's going on or looking for guidance or that shit's absolutely real and it happens all the time. And to see these guys, like, step up and just work together, no one's talking shit, everyone's a team and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that was super and just amazing to bear witness to and, you know, really set the foundation for me and, you know, going forward in my career what right looked like and you know what putting out looked like what you know standing your ground looked like and what facing your fears and rising looked like and all these types of shit because i saw from all these different people it was like holy fuck like all this is happening and these dudes aren't stopping yeah um so but yeah i mean crazy i mean you i remember one particular day was april 26 2004 it was actually like a 30 days later after i got dinged in the helmet uh we got in this like super gnarly um like ambush and the have you heard of Doug Zimbach? Yes, yes. So absolutely. Doug Zimbach was the uh, Major Doug Zimbach or Captain Doug Zimbach at the time. He was uh, the company commander for Echo Company and the line of Fallujah. Mm-hmm. Everyone like kind of like heard this like beast of a man story, and so he he was like, "Hey, we're going to uh, take over this house and set up a sniper ambush because we're always getting sniper pop shots from this place." Um. And really, they had the advantage on us to some point, you know, uh, and we're like, he's like, dude, I'm done with this. We're going to set up a mission. We're going to go over there. And we're going to, you know, we're going to kill as many, you know, fighters as we possibly can. Like, that's your job. We're going to ambush, ambush them and bring the sniping to them. And so that's what we did. This time we had a few uh, Delta sniper teams with us. They came to us specifically because they're like, hey, 
we heard you guys are like in the craziest fights ever. We figured <laughs> we could maybe come give a hand and we're like, we could use all the hands, you know, their medical, their weaponry, um, their, their skill set, their bodies. Like, you know, we were definitely task saturated multiple nights, you know, everyone's standing to on the rooftop because your building is yawing back and forth because, you know, a C-130 gunship is firing danger close, you know, uh, missions, you know, at your, at your facility, uh, cause you have enemy fighters coming, uh, it's cyclic rates almost. And, um, just, it was, ne- it was never a dull moment, I would say. Um, so anyways, one morning we, we set up on the 26th, we set out to head to this building, uh, the assaulters, uh, rocketed a wall, rebreached it we go through it and we we hit this this compound this this building um that we were going to take over and set up our shop in and lo and behold you know there's weapons caches there uh there's spider holes you know murder holes everywhere you know chiseled out shooting uh shooting holes shooting positions burning through vegetation so they had like obscuration between them and us you know they had defilade they had all these right proper setups to to be fully employed and stand the best chance they could for survivability and not being seen. Um, it, but it was quiet. It was like super quiet. And we ended up uh, establishing overwatch positions, guys set up in multiple rooftop or multiple floors. Uh, and we just waited. Hmm. And it was about, I don't know, um, late morning, early, early afternoon. Uh, it's pretty hot, and we're on limited water. We're still on day packs for this. We're kind of carried light, a lot of ammo, day packs, uh, nods, obviously for the backup. Uh, so we, uh, my my team leader's like, hey, go downstairs with a radio operator. Uh, we'll come get you guys in like an hour. There's no need for all of us to be up here sweating and going through our water. And mm-hmm. you know, if something was to happen, we're kind of all sitting ducks up here. We're like, okay, cool. Uh, I asked him if he wants my rifle. He says, no, you might need it. My radio operator asked my ATL assistant team leader if he wants his rifle. He's like, yeah, I'll take it. So we go downstairs and we find this like mattress room where they host, you know, sleeping and events and stuff like that. These big mattresses everywhere. And we're like helmets off. My flak jacket's undone and I'm smoking a cigarette. We're both smoking and shooting shit and just enjoying that extremely peaceful silence in a very violent area mm-hmm. uh, just really enjoying it all in until a like machine gun blast like blast through a window and RPGs start going off and grenades start going off on a rooftop and machine starts coming out of the machine guns start going off on the rooftop and into our windows and surrounding floor and then you start hearing screaming and yelling and all sorts of shit that's like just hell's breaking loose and all around the same time we got guys uh, we finally make it out of our room. I see guys like shell shocked. I see guys like fucking not moving. I see guys fucking scattering all over, um, dragging bodies and shit. And uh, not every, you know, medical equipment wasn't a big thing back in the day like it is now. I mean, hell, we had this thing called Quick Clot, which they were told us basically not to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have tourniquets. You know, basic fill med was very, it was basic. You know, it was very basic. So people were doing what the, the best they could, what they had at the time. And our big thing now was like stretchers and gurneys to get guys out. So guys are banging down doors, trying to use anything they can to like move these Marines that are, you know, KIA or wounded, move them around. And 
you know, we just have this firefight taking place all over. We're just being shot at from a few angles and I'm still trapped inside. I don't know what the hell is really going on outside of them. Then I like my, my homie and I barely make it out of our room and we're like low crawling to get to the door frame to get out. And it's just like, what the hell is going on? And, um, at this time, half my team comes run down. They got hit with a grenade. A homie of mine comes down. He's missing his arm. He rolled over on his saw, his squad automatic weapon to protect it because mm-hmm. it's our only machine gun we had at the house. Uh, he rolls on top of that, loses his arm in the process, saves the gun. Uh, another homie of mine gets Swiss cheese in his leg and they're all like hopping down and dragging down kind of like screaming, shell shocked down. Um, and it's like you you hear these things like we got to get to the roof <laughs> and you're like fuck that roof bro. <laughs> you're like i don't want to go there <laughs> i sure as fuck you don't want to go there yeah but you don't have those opportunities to uh think that way i mean you guess you can but then now you're just you're worthless on the battlefield um and it's those those weird feelings of just like i don't want to go on the rooftop the chance of me getting killed are extremely high but they, you just fucking go yeah. it's like jumping off the tower in boot camp or in recon school, like it's only, t- you know, 25 plus meters up, you know, you could make it, mm-hmm. you could belly flop, you know, but you don't, you don't want to, but you just step off anyway. Mm-hmm. And you do that when you don't want to in combat. And that was just a really, you know, now I'm living out a lot of these emotions and feelings I've never experienced before to this capacity is like a compound, you know, fucking sentence. It's like, holy shit, I can like say all sorts of things now. Um, yeah, and you know we we're in this fight back and forth for for a few hours it seems like, and at this time you know even the Delta guys are they're shot up you know they're shot in the ear, shot in the groin protector, uh, one had like a grazing neck, you know weapons are shot up, they're using pistols, p- pistols are killing people, um, just chaos really mm. is breaking loose and um. We had to go to the rooftop to, if we lost the rooftop, you know, we stood high chances of just being all murdered. So, I uh, went to the rooftop and it's just a grenade toss war back and forth. Uh, we're getting shot up by a minaret, which is like right in our peripheral. So, it had the high ground on us as well. Uh, dudes trying to jump onto our rooftop, throwing the grenades on the rooftop. Dudes wounded on the rooftop that are Marines, trying to get fucking, you know, wounded bodies down while maintaining security, while maintaining, you know, engagement with the enemy. Uh, just chaos, mm-hmm. uh, absolute chaos. And it's so hard to hear everything. And there's no, no personal radios back in the day. So there's like one or two guys that have some like in, in squad communication radios, but everyone else is yelling or however, there's still like some type of control that was happening, which is impressive. And that's, that's when these good leaders come in and that's, you know, when being good at your craft really pays off, you know, and, uh, so being just witness to all that was intense as it was, you know, that, that was a life lesson right there. And, uh, we ended up getting out of this house only because, uh, we could, we couldn't make a run back to our friendly forces or friendly lines because we were fucking being absolutely fucking L shaped and engaged from all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, they definitely had the drop on us. Um, they're right next to us, door to us in a building that was not cleared. Uh, just bad, bad mm-hmm. news. And at the same time, our our guys that we left the front of the lines, they're they're whooping it on. They're being attacked. They're being engaged. One of our snipers, I believe, just got he got like twenty one or twenty three kills just that day, like or seventeen that day in, in particular, uh, just from that one engagement. Jeez. And that's with a bolt gun, bro. Can you imagine what like machine guns and like 
rifles were, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. pistols were doing. Uh, this is just one day. And it was definitely like a, everyone was putting out, everyone was whooping it on. There was no one not actively engaged in this. And uh, finally the Abrams, the tanks made it to our position. And that basically shielded us to be able to like get out and like start running back, bring our casualties, meeting back the friendly lines. Uh, by this time, the Cobras came on station. They, you know, they're they're engaging the Minarath. They're engaging all these surrounding buildings. Uh, that one famous clip of like those like hundreds of people, you know, perceived people that are walking down this like urban city, and like the jet takes them out with a JDAM. Mm-hmm. You know that that was our location. Um, it was like it was like crazy. Like we were about to get like straight up murdered. Like it was almost like a fixed bayonet type of scenario. Uh, thank God it wasn't because I didn't have my bayonet. <laughs> uh, and to top it off, you know, we got damaged weapons. We have we're, all of our sniper ammo was on the rooftop with us because we went up there to like do work. Well, you know, our our crypto, our radios, our night vision, our fucking ammo gone. Our grenades for a grenade launcher gone. They're all exploding up there. So we're salvaging as much stuff as we can. So not only bringing bodies down, we're bringing equipment and shit down that can be salvaged. Uh, and we're running out of ammo inside this fucking place. So we finally do like this, you know, run back to friendly lines. And, you know, we got guys that are, that are already outfitting us with rockets and already staged with like more ammunition ready to go because they're on the rooftop now. And then now the fight is, you know, closing in, coming into us. And so it's just like never ending. Mm-hmm. It seems like, and it goes on for a few more hours until like sun starts going down. And, you know, that was, that was like what, that was like the introduction to Fallujah. Yeah. That was like, hey, check this out. Like, we can get close and pretty violent, and we hate you. Um, and you're in our home. Go mm-hmm. away. So, I mean, I get it. You know, I can understand. Yeah. Uh, but it was definitely intense. Not no one really, no one really expected that much. I mean, how can you not expect violence in war? But I don't know. I can't comprehend what I didn't see. And now that I saw what I saw, I'm just like, dude. How many months of this shit? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Not only am I watching out for my head, you know, dude, this is vi- this is this is okay corral, dude. This is crazy, man. And like, it's free game for everybody here. And I mean, shit, back then it was like there was the ROEs were insane. Yeah. The rules of engagement were crazy. Uh, just the battle space was crazy, man. There was so many fighters in that city, you know, fighting for their life, fighting for what they believed in, or fighting because they're fucking fighting you know, trying to kill us. Like it was, there was no lack of work there. Mm. There was never a, a dull moment. Very rarely were there quiet days, you know, where you weren't engaged. Uh, I mean, there was almost every day was full out conflict. Yeah. Yeah. When it finally settled down and things got quiet that day, do you remember what you were thinking about? Do you remember? Yeah. I was thinking about my friends that either got killed or got wounded and I was pretty emotional and, um, just one of my one of my best friends at the time, uh, you know, he like died right like five minutes out from like one of the fire bases to to receive a, a aid, and I was just pissed. I was really pissed, and I was hurt, and I was like talking shit about my command because at the time they're driving around. You know, we were a big deal, and um, what was happening in our area was a very big deal, and so people are always trying to go out there and see what's going on, and um, and that was our, we needed those security vehicles for the medevacs so they could leave base, you know? And it's just fucking weird. A lot of rules, even though we're so close to base, just a lot of weird shit. And to realize that we are five minutes away, you know, we're losing people five minutes away from fucking actual care, you know, like 
that fucking sucks. You know, that's, yeah. That's a real tough, tough thing. And, you know, even the Delta Max that were there, I mean, they're doing everything they can. They're doing more advanced stuff than our corpsmen are doing. And our corpsmen are doing as ma- amazing work. You know, mm-hmm. all our corpsmen back in the day were just super Gs. Like, none of those dudes were the real McCoy, bro. Our mm-hmm. corpsmen back in the day, the Navy corpsmen, dude, all they were given was pistols. Wow. They didn't start getting rifles until Marines started getting wounded and killed. Jeez. They had pistols. Dude, my 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 medic alone, my corpsman alone, dude. That that dude was like stacking bodies, dude. <laughs> um, Doc Eight Ball, man. This dude was straight stacking bodies, and they're like, "Why does this corpsman have a scope on his rifle?" Because this <laughs> corpsman is like putting in the work, you know. Like, there was never a dull moment for anything. Uh, everything was almost, if you can imagine, it could happen there, and mm. it was just crazy. So I was thinking about when that day started dying down, just like. Fuck more friends dead, and I'm like, how many more fucking months of this shit? You know, yeah. like, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not like, oh my god, I can't wait, I gotta go home. Like, I'm not thinking that. I'm just thinking to myself, like, dude, this is a short timeline so far. We've already been here, and how many more months are left? And this is what's already happened. This is how many guys are already wounded. Like, what the, like, this is insane. Yeah. Um, because these numbers are outrageous. At the same time, you have, I think, two four and two two and Ramadi. I could have those numbers off. I believe two four was the main one though at the time. You have them and Ramadi fighting, doing like Fallujah style stuff. Like Ramadi and Fallujah were like the two popping places, and yeah. we're just taking mad marine casualties and just hellacious fighting. You know that's happening. That's making news back at home, being told like this is the craziest firefight since, since Vietnam. And then I hear Vietnam stories of like the SOG guys. I'm like, nah. <laughs> that sounds pretty crazy. But at the same time, <laughs> I don't think it's, it really matters. Sometimes the uh what's happening i think it's how it's happening you know like just i mean insane dude i got tired of seeing the chaplain all the time i got tired of like him coming to like do uh like candle lighting ceremonies and i got tired of like doing the silent fucking uh ceremonies for our homies that are dead you know it's just it's just like dude what what is this yeah you know and it's just just insane bro and being 18 years old i mean that shaped a lot of me that that was a culture shock. I wasn't I wasn't avoiding a fight ever. I also wasn't looking for a fight. But um having just these like experiences this early on in my military career and my life was a lot really eye opening. Yeah. So from the rest of the for the rest of the tour that you had, you know, being over there in Pelusia, how would you say the rest of that went? I mean, you said there was a lot more conflict, there was a lot more that went on. How would you say that tour went overall? Did you feel successful? Did you feel like you guys did what you came there to do? Uh, I mean, no. Like, not in like a, I mean, what is successful? What is what is success on a battlefield, right? Like, what is winning the war on terror in six months? You, you see what I'm saying? Like, it took more than six months to even bring in all the assets to go do the fight. You know, and then, right. you know, how are you going to win? What is successful then? Did we liberate anything? Fuck, I don't know, dude. Like, it when you think about why we're in Iraq in the first place, you know, during this whole time, this is a big weapons of mass destruction uh thing. And those are never missions I was going on, you know, these were never the things and we're just clearing these big insurgent fested, you know, cities that had, you know, huge uh tactical, operational, you know, strategical like, you know, significance and I didn't feel like a failure, I guess. I didn't even feel like I, like I succeeded in anything. I just didn't really I didn't really think that way. I was definitely on the tactical side of things still. I wasn't really looking bigger and never 
was like, oh, my country is going to be so proud of me. Like, <laughs> I never, you know, I never thought about that, nor did I even care about that type of stuff. Um, yeah, it was just, it was just weird. And at that time in the Marine Corps, at that time in the military, it was, that was it. I don't even think the Marine Corps or the military knew how to like handle what was happening there, you know? Yeah. Like, the, the amount of PTSD, the TBIs, hell, the TBIs alone that came from there. You know, I got a motion and a cigarette uh, as I'm throwing up, you know, as I got a bullet to my helmet. And, you know, TBIs weren't a thing for like years later. They didn't right. realize that, oh, <laughs> we're just, we're just kind of stirring the pot day by day. And the more we do these things, and uh, I mean, it is what it is because at the point you're really focused on your mission, you're focused on what you're doing. But for the rest of deployment, it was, it got more interesting. It got more advanced too. We, you know, Months later, we ended up pulling out of the city and we started changing up our tactics. We're doing a bit more patrolling around outside the city, doing a lot of vehicle drop-offs, uh, a lot of soft patrolling where we're deploying our sniper teams with the infantry companies and platoons as they're doing missions and then going out to do our thing. And it became different, but then everything changed still. You know, at this point in time, we have more casualties. We're taking uh, combat replacements. So, like, dudes are getting called up for, like, the, the inactive reserve. You know, they're few months out from retire, you know, getting out of the Marine Corps and they're now activated. They're like, dude, I was at the pool, you know, punching tickets and like, here I am, you know, <laughs> in Fallujah. And, you know, that was, that was crazy to see that, damn, we have combat replacements, you know, all, and they're cycling through. Yeah. And it, it was just like the movies are like, damn, these guys are like getting taken out pretty quickly. And, um, you know, I couldn't even imagine what those men were going through, like having this whole life and a family or whatever they may or may not have had. And then like, oh, hey, by the way, uh, you're being activated and you're being thrown into Fallujah. F- f- what? what? What is that? <laughs> oh, you'll find out. Here is no training. Here's your ticket. Uh, I'll be the same. And then now they're in this place where they're just executing a task now. You know, they're just like, they're not invested. They're not, their mindset's probably not there. And you know, it's just, it was just crazy. What a crazy dynamics for the whole thing. But it's, it's slowly kind of like died down because we weren't just uh, hammer fisting like this whole place. And uh, we were able to do a lot more like type of sniping missions, uh, a lot more reconnaissance surveillance and different approach, bringing a lot of air assets into what we were doing. Um, But then it was just, I don't know, man, you, you just like sitting around a big uh, pot, big pan cooking bacon you're going to get popped with grease if you stand around a big pan <laughs> cooking bacon, you right. know? And so no place was safe and no place is ever a dull moment. I, hell, I remember being at this thing called the train trestles and it was right outside the city. Uh, there was a main highway uh, bridge uh, across this bridge and there was this train that was an active train that would go uh, across the city. And I remember one day a dude with like a, a parachute, like a tank grenade, you know, throws out to one of our teams that's there and, uh, you're just like, that just fucking happened, you know, or like cars driving by on this bridge that are just like doing drive-bys and you're like, dude, that, that just happened. Yeah. Or like an army convoy that just gets hit and they're just like shooting 360 and you're like, oh my God, did that just happen? Yeah. You know, it just like never ended and it's just like, dude, it's like the Looney Tunes here and it was just crazy, man. It's just, it was crazy. And I remember, I remember when we were leaving, I, re- I remember when we were leaving Fallujah and we had, we only were giving one magazine and I don't even think it was 30 rounds. Mm. We had like a couple pairs of night vision for this like seven ton drive back to like another base, then to like another base, you know, then now we're far away, f- away from like conflict apparently. But I'm just like, are you serious? This is crazy, bro. <laughs> like, 
I remember going, dude, I was one firefight, you know, homie gets shot in the head. He, he, we're like holding in his like skull and shit. And this dude gets shot in the fucking foot. Then the major gets shot in the head. And like this guy gets shot in the arm. This guy, you're just like, what the hell? Like all this thing is happening in all these different scenarios. Like there was no place you could go with the safe. And like here I am in the back of a seven ton you know, leaving the battle space, but I have like a half a magazine and like my butt is like super puckered. Cause I'm like, this does not feel right to me. Yeah. Uh, but that's, it is what it was. And yeah, if we get hit, we're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, you, you're just like, you can't let your guard down, but you're at the same time, you're on your way home. And at this particular time, like six guys from my sniper team, we all came home early, about 29 days, 30 days early, uh, to go to sniper school. Cause mm. things were dying down. Um, Phantom Fury kind of had already kind of like started, I believe. It's like around around the same time, uh, and we're getting ready to go back to actually go to sniper school so we can, you know, get certified and graduate. And so we were all looking forward to that coming home. And mm-hmm. you know, for me personally, continue on that process. I joined the Marine Corps to be a scout sniper. My first deployment, I'm in a sniper platoon. Awesome. Now I'm gonna go like to this course and like earn my title and all this type of stuff. And you know, continue on my career. I've now successfully completed my first deployment. I'm no longer a boot, you know, like <laughs> I'm one of the very few guys that have all this experience and all these things. And it's just, just a weird feeling, you know, a lot of, that's a lot of things of being 18 years old. Um, and I mean, fuck everything about my life changed, yeah. you know, what, watching those, uh, watching those Delta operators do their thing while they were over there. How much did that form your ideas of wanting to be special operations? Um, I mean, a lot. I mean, I thought it was awesome that these guys were like, they're super mat- mature, super professional. They definitely weren't like the stigma that I saw in the big, you know, Marine Corps. And they were force multipliers. That's what I really enjoyed. They weren't, and they were all leaders. They were all had like, no one was micromanaged. They were, they were just independent force multipliers. And, um, you know, that was super interesting. I didn't like fanboy too much. Right. Um, we had a few guys that did, but these dudes were great. They also weren't fronting to get fanboyed either. You know, they're yeah. like, "Hey, we're just here to do our job too, and let's fucking work together and help out." And and let, hey, let's use our cool toys. You know, <laughs> like like a fucking revolver with the scope on it. You know, like you're just like, "Is that real?" Uh, and you're like, "Oh, it works too. Nice." You know. And, yeah. yeah. You know, so it was cool. It didn't really shift much, but it was it was always interesting. You know, it was. I felt I now saw this like higher unit. Mm-hmm. I, I obviously heard about them before, right? Uh, so I thought a little bit. And then seeing them, it was always kind of like, okay, there's always something bigger, always something better. And then this is also another level of like what right looks like. And so I was able to always like apply that standard and kind of like how I saw things and pick and pull from the leadership that I saw from them, the the ways they acted, and then incorporate that to my, you know, E3 life that I was living at the time. And, <laughs> Mr. Oh, I've been, I'm still paying my GI bill and, yeah. you know, but being exposed to that, the level of professionalism and uh, experience, you know, definitely shifted a lot for me as well. Yeah. Did you, uh, obviously there was nothing really for the, there was no MARSOC at the time. It was, you know, recon. Uh, did you know that you wanted to go recon at that point or were you just intent on the scout sniper route and then see where it goes? Uh, I ended up doing, I was a team leader for my next uh, sniper deployment or my next infantry deployment as a sniper. Uh, and after that, still current operation, 2005, 2006 mm-hmm. timeframe, 
I was like, man, I got to get out of my platoon. I got to do something different. I didn't really like the way the platoon was going a lot. It was like a, to me, a lot more handouts were happening. A lot more like, like lack of respect was happening. A lot of culture stuff that, I mean, I grew up a certain way in the sniper community where uh, you earned it. Yeah. You know, every day you're under observation. Uh, If you weren't a sniper, you didn't do certain things, you know, you didn't have access to certain things. And the platoon was just kind of like, it was just getting different and I wasn't about it. I didn't really enjoy it that much. Um, and I felt like I kind of like reached my peak. I felt like if I would have stayed any longer, I would have been in charge of my platoon, but it would have just been one of those things is like, you know, I have $5,000. I know I can buy a $5,000 car. That's, well, that's kind of easy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 it's almost a given. I want that Ferrari though, you know, I don't even have the money for that, but I'm going to make it happen. That's kind of like where I was at in my career. I'm like, I don't want easy. And I, at this time, I worked at my second employment. I worked with a bunch of the Force Recon guys. I was friends with them. I did a lot of shit with their sniper teams and uh, a lot of courses with them and all these type of workups. And on the way home from Iraq, I'm like, hey, I, how do I come over? What do I have to do? And they start telling me about like their indoctrination they have. And uh, that was my main focus. I ended up just signing up for that before I come home. And you know, on leave, I'm swimming the whole time in camis sucking a lot getting yelled at at the ymca a lot because my head went underwater oh my god you know, oh my god my head went underwater with you sitting on this tower looking at me <laughs> which is your job um but it was it was time to go i just felt it yeah. and if i stayed i was going to be comfortable and then fucking be regretful hmm. um and it just felt right and i was scared obviously and uh, what really kind of set it off, I had the seat for ranger school. They were like, oh, you did a great job. Uh, what do you want? I'm like, I want to go to ranger school. They're like, okay, we'll send you to ranger school. And uh, apparently I had this billet, you know, so I'm working with another guy who's a ranger at the time. I'm like going over my creed and I'm getting, I'm ready for school. I'm like visualizing this whole thing. And um, somehow along the lines, it like got dropped in my command. And I was just like, this is, I'm tired of these like white lies to like kind of keep me around because they're like, hey, what do we got to do to keep you type of stuff? Because uh, I was kind of senior. I was uh, no, was it wasn't that senior? Yeah, I was a senior sergeant. Hmm. You know, senior a sergeant for a few years, and uh, I was definitely like, you know, prime candidate to go somewhere or be a be a value somewhere. All this experience, and I'm um, just like, dude, I'm out of here, and that's it, dude. I remember showing up at the pool one day at my uh, on my base because that's where the Pendleton pool was at, where Recon does all their screenings, and I remember like showing up at the barracks at like five o'clock in the morning eating banana i got the nervous poops mm. you know i'm like drinking water i'm just like oh my god oh my god what am i getting into and just freaking out then i show up at this pool you know the fog the steam coming off it, it's fucking late people are in like black silkies and black hoodies i'm just like uh you know just completely out of place feeling and next thing you know i'm getting in this cold ass fucking water i'm just like dude this is the real thing this mm. is like the real thing and um it was kind of like old news after that. Yeah. So you got into. So <coughs> were you doing the recon thing before you got into Marsoc? I mean, were you? Had you stepped into that world already before Marsoc was formed? Yeah, I was a force recon dude. Okay. Yep. Oh, gotcha. So you were early on. Yep. That's so awesome. at, at this time, Detachment One was Marsoc or Marine Corps' like first tier one special operations organization. Uh, they're doing a bunch of things with other special missions units downrange. Yeah. I, my buddy Clint Trial had talked about that. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, he would know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he would definitely know. Yeah. Um, and so that was going on. And so Force Recon was like the top tier outside of this thing. And to even get to that thing, you had to be a Force Recon guy. Uh, so it was kind of like this like elevation. So since I was a, since I was a sergeant, 
I was able to like try out for the force reconnaissance screening. Mm. Um, and with my background and stuff like that, and obviously some of the other guys I was there with. Uh, so, cause we're all, we're all sergeants at this point in time and force was a more senior unit. And, and so that was it, man. I mean, making it to that and, you know, suffering through that. Cause I was not a great swimmer. I didn't, I didn't even like successfully do my swimming, on my very first screening, hmm. they're just like, "Oh, hey, this guy's like either stupid or just doesn't quit, <laughs> and he shows like he cares." You know, let's we could probably train him, um, and that's actually how I got an invite back to go do it all over again and um, pay my dues there. Then I went to uh, pre BRC, which is like the course you go to before you go to BRC, which is a recon course, basic reconnaissance course. At the time, it was in Coronado, hmm. uh, but we had to go through like the two week RIP recon indoctrination program. Um, where battalion reconnaissance runs it. And so now I'm a sergeant. I'm screening for force reconnaissance and I'm being, I'm training with a bunch of privates and private first classes. And, uh, the instructors were like butthurt. Some of them were butthurt. Some of them were actually really cool. But some of them were butthurt because me and my friends, we were on a force reconnaissance contract, not a contract, but like we had to pass all this, then pass a force in doc. And then we were, you know, and then go to recon school and then we were going to make it to force. And this guy like wanted to be in force a long time. It just wasn't happening. And I'm like, it is what it is, bro. Like, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I want to go here, not there. So I'm going to try out for this thing. So it was always, it made for an interesting dynamic the Mm. entire time. Uh, but I think it was all out of good love. And if it wasn't, it still made me stronger because I went to BRC and like smoked it, you know, it was super, I thought it was pretty simple. Yeah. Um, fun, challenging, definitely hard. But like, once again, a lot of things in life are hard, but I, I was imagining all this. I was fantasizing about all of it, you know? Shit, I remember being at BRC and uh, doing the obs- the SEAL obstacle course one day. I'm like, whoa, I'm actually here. Discovery Channel was here too, you know? Like, <laughs> it was crazy to like live out these experiences. So, when I say it was easy, yeah, there was definitely times it was hard. There was plenty of times, like, in just, you know, the training, like, a pre-BRC that I wanted to, like, quit a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Like, I never told an instructor that. Yeah. But I would, like, you know, jaw jack with my friends on, like, the bed as we're, like, oh, my God, we're going to the pool today? Oh, my God, I don't know if I'm going to make it. We're, like, okay, I'm just going to quit tomorrow. Like, fuck this. This is, oh, my God. And, you know, whatever I got to tell myself to, like, get my mind to take my body there. And once my body got there, I knew I wasn't going to quit. So, it was just these, like, little things I needed to do to kind of make it fun and interesting, not in a fear. I was never scared. Like, oh, my God, I'm going to quit. It was I, – I made it all comical, but I definitely, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to quit the next mile. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to quit the mile after that. I'm definitely quitting tomorrow morning. <laughs> you know, like, giving myself these future goals, never seeing myself stop during the process, you know, if I could just see past what's going on, what I'm enduring right now, I'll realize that they can't stop time. And I know I'm not going to quit. So unless I die, I'm going to make it to, you know, this next visualization checkpoint. And that's kind of like how I built that my entire career because nothing I did was fucking easy. Yeah. Um, but it made it easier. And I, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot more along the way because I wanted to be there. I visualized it all the entire time. How long were you in Force Recon before Marsai got stood up? Uh, not very long. I went, made it to Force, I think, right in the beginning of 2006. And I remember I was at jump school, and I think I was in jump school around October of that year. So, what's that, like 10 months later, uh, eight months or so later? Mm-hmm. And by the time I came back from jump school in Fort, Fort Benning, uh, they just stood down the first force reconnaissance call, a flag colors and raised the first MSOB, Marine Special Operations Battalion, uh, guide on flag. And 
I'm like, oh shit, like kind of heard it was in the pipeline, but we weren't really sure. There was a lot of like speculation. And they're like, hey, Debt One's getting disbanded and they're coming to first and second force recon. And some recon platoons are going to come to first and second force. And first and second force are forming Marine Special Operations Battalion. And we're like, oh, this is crazy. And so I'd say, all in all, you know, like eight, nine months really. Mm. And before that, yeah, eight, nine months. Just so basically, all I did was like training. Training, 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 training. And then one day it's this and, you know, it was super cool. And luckily my previous experiences like kept me there too. Cause like at the time we didn't have a pipeline. We didn't have a selection. We didn't have, they were going off of like, uh, there's no ITC. Yeah. There was no ITC. They were like married and like this, like, okay, here's SOCOM standard, special operations command standard. Do you meet these requirements? Yes or no. And so they were just going through all the guys in the unit a lot of guys got yes, a lot of guys got no, and then so like a lot of like change of command, change of force started happening, and uh, you know within a few months it's like we're preparing for our first rotation, and um, you know there's still no schoolhouse at the time. We're still deploying as platoons. We're still like a force reconnaissance structure uh, deploying, and uh, but we made it happen. Very quick transition, and <clears throat> we're you know getting right in the pipeline with SOCOM and getting our certification trainings happening, and. It, it brought in a butt ton of money, mm-hmm. which obviously gave us better, ac- more access to d- different assets. You know, you know, attachments, weaponry, um, insert platforms, uh, training missions. You know, like training just got a whole new facelift, and it was like super cool. Um, in preparation for our first first deployment. Mm. So Rumsfeld comes <clears throat> into the room and goes to the Marine Corps commanders and says, "Hey, you guys need uh, special operations." And they say, uh, yeah, sure, okay, whatever. And he walks out, and they never form it. And then he comes back in the room like six months later and says, you guys need special operations. By the way, that wasn't a request. And they have to stand it up. You guys weren't loved, right? Yeah, we were definitely not loved. Did you feel that? Uh, Not really from the Marine Corps at the time uh, because it was still fairly new. Mm-hmm. And then going down range on my first rotation with Marsoc, 2007 time frame. Yeah. Uh, that's to Afghanistan and, you know, linking up with the SEALs and the Green Berets down there. Just, it was an interesting dynamic. Definitely bastardized, you know. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of love there from those commands. But, I mean, I get it, man. Yeah. I mean, You're early on. Early on and I'd be pissed off too, you know, for the most part and – you know, hey, you know, what did you guys do to get here? Or why are you guys getting these missions? But, you know, what Marines do best is, like, we perform. We, we put out. Yeah. And, you know, I thought our mission sets were really good. I thought we were extremely successful. There was a lot of controversy in the first few rotations with MARSOC. Uh, you know, that speculation that it is what it was, right? Like, everyone's already got their saying or it's busting the rust. I don't, I don't know what it was, right? Mm-hmm. But in the emphasis of Marslock, the first few rotations from both coasts were nothing like the next rotations, the third rotations from each coast, you know? So, in a matter of like six months uh, after like, you know, four total companies have deployed, it was a completely different battle space. It was completely different involvement. Uh, I mean, now our, our teams are formed as special operations teams. You know, we're broken down completely different. We're fully enabled. So, we have like... You know, we're bringing to the table what the other soft units aren't. You know, we have all of our engineers, our EOD, our medics, our our dogs, our linguists. All this shit is like all internal our controllers. Everything we own is part of our team. Uh, where other units, other soft units are having to basically like leverage other assets to like bring them to the fold. And you know, Marstock really started making waves downrange. Um, 
and showing like what they could actually do mm-hmm. and what, what they could actually get accomplished. And so, you know, at the time too, a lot of the Marine infantry units were there. And so when RSOC was working alongside them, it was a really good dynamic for the most part. Most of the officers and senior enlisted from the big Marine Corps weren't a big fan of MARSOC guys because, you know, we're showing up in like different camis, talking to their guys on base, you know, bringing them food, taking, looking out for them, you know, like making sure, like doing our part to make sure we're taking care of them, right. you know? Because you guys all, most of you cats that were in MARSOC remembered what it was like to be in the regular Marine Corps. Yeah, I mean, it, and I've never <clears throat> was once on a team that we didn't like take care of the grunts somehow, you know, make sure we'd given them heaters because we'd have abundant stuff, you know, or we could get things and we made sure we spread all of that because nine times out of ten, it was these guys and gals that were guarding our gates. Yeah. You know, they were, they were our outside perimeter. They were the ones doing the combat patrolling you know, patrols and giving us information like, got to take care of these dudes because they're like getting treated like crap. They're yeah. getting treated like Marines. You know, a lot of really strict <laughs> rules that don't make sense and comfort is, you know, no comfort items. And yeah. You will only blink when I say to blink and that's really hard because there's a different Marine Corps when you leave America. There's this like, I don't know how to be a leader in combat <laughs> or in general, so I'm going to completely just be like Gestapo tactics for you and make it way more stressful and micromanage than you need to. So when it's time to push the fight, you're absolutely pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not even focused because yeah. you're like, well, it would be great if I actually had a bunker that worked. Yeah. It was just completely different experience. And I mean, that was a cool thing about Marsoc is like you were able to – I was able to do more now. I had yeah. more freedom of movement. Um, you know, we're working at a, we have the capability of working on such a small team, you know, small teams, you know, various ranks for briefing, you know, various officer ranks, you know, very high ranking uh, individuals. And we were able to get away with it because we weren't wearing rank. We were, at the time, hell, some of us were wearing like multi-cam uniforms, you know, right. we're not in, because we realized we were wearing our Marine Corps uniforms with our Marine Corps rank on it. They're like, oh, you're just a, E7, you're just an E6. And I'm just like, bro, we just brought you like hella information to keep your guys safe because you keep, you guys keep on doing the same dumb stuff and you're, and you're refusing to take input from us, mm. you know? And uh, so we're like bypassing fucking them and like going <laughs> to like the squad leaders, like, listen, man, you know, here's this packet that no one, buddy, nobody wants to listen to because we're, we have fucking beards and we're in multicam right. and they don't control us, mm. you know? And, that part was really frustrating, especially from your own Marine Corps. And then later in years, obviously the Marine Corps, it seemed like completely did not like Marsoc. And, yeah. you know, cause every Marine is special and blah, blah, blah. And they, they really try hard to, to make sure that's, that's emphasized and that you don't forget. Right. Which, which is good in a lot of ways in the mindset. But I, I remember talking to Clint Trell about standing up debt one and, you know, talking to guys and, you know, he, he very quickly became aware when he went through some of the Green Beret training, he said, Dude, like we were always taught, like we are special operators. And then I got into training and I go, oh, I'm definitely not a special operator. Like this is a completely different world. Like I wasn't prepared for that, you know? Right. Um, so he's like, some of it's good training, some of it's brainwashing. And, um, <clears throat> but the, the, the impact that you were able to make on some of the youth and some of the Marines coming up is so massive, such a massive impact. What was it like going on that first rotation in 07 with, with Marsoc? Uh, it was, I mean, it was cool. It was a new experience for me. I mean, we were in truck, gun trucks the entire time. So I, I never experienced anything like that. Every, all my other deployments were on foot, patrolling around. And at this time, I'm a trunk monkey. I'm in the back of a, of a gun truck and I got my Sasser, my 50 cal sniper rifle on a swing mount. I got a machine gun on a swing mount. I got 
mortar tube right behind me. I got all these like gadgets and toys and I'm not have to carry it around. So I'm really excited. Um, and it was just different. It was, um, I mean, I don't know. It was a little bit of Iraq. It was, everything was an L shape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everything was like, just uh, is this Afghanistan? That's this is Afghanistan. Yeah. yeah, we're just doing like everything's like a three day patrol, so we're on three day rotations. And were, were you working in Helmand? Yeah, Helmand. Around, okay. Yeah. So what's the dynamic like down there in Um uh, I'd it, say it was pretty kinetic, not Iraq status to me, but it was a lot of like mid to long range engagement. Um, a lot of we're still doing a lot of uh, at this particular time like a lot of residual Russian mines mm. um, scattered from the afghan russian you know oh yeah environment and so we're constantly like popping tires it seemed like and uh because we're always trying to like gain the plateau get the high ground and guess what that's where all the boobies the booby traps are at and uh so it was a really muddy conflict mid-range long-range type of engagement definitely a sniper playground definitely a call for fire uh close air support playground um, but it was interesting because, you know, at the time now we're doing like humanitarian assistance type of stuff. And, uh, you know, we're now injecting in different modalities to acquire information that I was never exposed to before. And we have various different technology that we never had exposed, you know, I was never been exposed to before. So seeing it all come to fruition at this place, I'm like, bro, we, we're doing a lot of damage. Yeah. Uh, it was just different damage. It was just different, mm, yeah. you know, and it was just a, everything about it was a different experience and and you know afghanistan it was cold you know i'm like this is crazy dude like because <laughs> we were actually training for iraq for this deployment then and we're on we're on a ship you know heading over to kuwait and then we get redirected to go to afghanistan and i'm like whoa super specialized you know <laughs> and it's just it was just interesting man I, I was exposed to a whole new world at this point in time and marsoc is just so junior I, I was the second company from the west coast to deploy so at the time i think i'm the third company or the fourth company total to ever leave wow um that's cool yeah it was super cool i mean fuck, like i was the first one from my uh f- first one from my platoon or a company uh, from a battalion and that was uh, obviously super awesome yeah uh but it was just just different it's kind of hard to explain uh, subsequent deployments after did you notice some of this starting to take a toll some of your time in fallujah some of your time going over to Afghanistan, did you notice a mental toll that this was taking on you? Yeah, I sort of have like suicidal like spells and like hauntings. It seemed like from my friends that got killed in previous deployments, uh, right around the time I'm like, I'm in Marsoc, and mm-hmm. you know, I was when I was a force guy, and a lot of stress, a lot of um, you know, I was in a relationship at the time, I was married, that was fucking toxic and crazy. So I'm like, you know, trying to figure out how to be human, how to be a marine, how to be this guy, how to be this billet, how to do that thing, and uh, I'm dealing with, you know, outbursts. I'm dealing with like memory issues already. And, you know, this is four or five years after my first significant TBI and <clears throat> each deployment, I'm stacking some form of TBI, right. you know, explosions, you know, getting thrown out of a vehicle, you know, like insert, if it could happen, it kind of happened for the most part. And I had started to have his toll on it. And, I even remember like trying to get help back in the day, but like I stopped because it was like you were definitely that stigma was real about like, oh, if you go to get help, people are going to like think that you're like crazy and you're going to lose your job and you're going to lose your clearance. You're not going to be able to go to free fall and all these things. And uh, I, I realized back then like it was you're kind of like doomed for setting yourself up 
for like try to get help because all the stigmas associated with it. And you know the deal. Like it's not like most people don't do things in the military not because they don't. The order doesn't say they can. They just think that they can't do it, and it keeps them from actually doing stuff. Well, most people think that if you do get help. Even some of the practitioners, it seem like, you know, they don't even know the truth about what's going to happen to your security clearance or your deployment status and all these things, especially at the time. And I just like cut it all off. I'm like, all right, I'll just suck this up, dude, because I got goals. I'm trying to deploy. I'm trying to do these things. And uh, it made the dynamics to try to get help interesting because I realized I was such a new guy in this community now that I want to be part of. I needed to choose. Do I want to be that guy that is getting his head checked, you know, that guy that's getting his sleeve fixed, that's new to this unit, or is it that guy that's shutting up and coloring and like doing his job and like being part of the team mm-hmm. and doing the things that he needs to get done. And that's what I was mainly focused on at this point in time. So probably like 2009, 2008, 2009, I really started to feel some of like the TBI effects are creeping in. Mm. How, how many rotations after that first one with Marsoc did you do? Uh, three total, yeah, three total, I went to, yeah, I deployed like Germany, Africa, and Afghanistan, three times, three times Afghanistan with Marsoc. Mm. And the dynamic was changing every time you went to Afghanistan? Every time it was different. Yeah. Every time the teams got cooler, our, our assets and our capabilities got cooler because around 2000, when I came back from my first rotation, I went to our schoolhouse to start up our whole entire pipeline. So our selection, our in- instructor training program, um, and then the ITC individual training course. I, and shit, I ended up putting like the first like three classes through, you know, wow. that whole thing. Uh, I taught the advanced sniper course from Marsoc. I taught uh, various reconnaissance surveillance uh, platforms. And it was super cool to like see these guys and invest in these guys that are going to be coming to my team way before I. Yeah. Um, some guys would always have like those hard gate mentalities and where others understood that like, hey, it's up to us to have invested interest to like make sure these guys are taken care of, taught and like held accountable but valued at the same time, you know, not belittled. Because they're going to be, we're going to be on their team, you know, yeah. in in a year, or two years, whenever we get our, our time down here to the schoolhouse. And um, so going to the units, I, I ended up deploying from all three Marslock battalions and uh, our Raider battalions. And uh, I, dude, I knew everyone, everyone, everyone knew me of some sort, or I knew them, uh, or I went to school with them. Like it was, it was, it was pretty awesome to like have that level of connectivity um, because your reputation is everything in that job. You know, there's a lot of guys who are like, oh, this guy's a killer. But like, he's a piece of shit leader back at home. You know, he can't even like look out for his guys or he has no accountability. He's not a good tactician. He just got in a gnarly gunfight and the ego side of people are like, oh, this guy's a killer. He's savage. But like, is like the worst thing, you know, a leader can be. Right. Uh, not very well-rounded. So it was, you're always reinventing at least i was always reinventing like who i was like what what leaders i'm learning from what experiences because it was kind of like the whole boot camp thing you could tell who who the guys some guys just wanted to be on a team for the rest of their career oh, i'm never going to get promoted i just want to be on a team i'm just like bro that's a fucking loser mindset right there like yeah i hear you bitch about things <laughs> how are you going to change them if you never move up and like my whole concept was like i had a lot of complaints about stuff well, the only way I was going to change it was by moving up. You know, I, I yeah. wanted to get promoted. I wanted to be in charge of a team. I, I was ready to like step into this role and provide value compared to like some of the, like the toxic things that I saw before. And, you know, no one's 
a douche like a Marine can be a douche, you know, when it comes to one <laughs> another. A lot of guys put each other down or have a lot of scarcity mindset. and But that's what happens when you're constantly told that you're not special, when you're constantly told that you're no different, you know. But hey, sacrifice more than anyone in this organization, for your family, you know, your time home, your time away from your kids. Um, just, just keep on doing those things. But hey, by the way, make sure you're not wearing white socks. <laughs> we, we would hate for you to be get judged, you know. Yeah. Just silly nuances. Oh, too. Yeah, we did, we did that crap all the time. Yeah, same yeah. thing. I mean, no one was looking to get like stroked or anything or pat <clears throat> on the back, but just like you can't expand unless you expand. You know, we're we're never going to level up at this time. We were never going to level up if we didn't level up our outlooks and our mindsets and. A lot of that was our senior enlisted. We had a bunch of old guys that kind of, a lot of them provided a lot of value for sure. Yeah. A lot of them were my mentors for my entire career for the most part in the uh, Force Reconnaissance, Marslock uh, career. And then some of them were just strap hangers. Yeah. You know, old methodologies, old ways, old tactics and very narrow views. And they fit the exact form for the Marine Corps, you know, that keeps us in check and makes sure we're still being Marines and all these other things. I'm like, dude, we're obviously always going to be Marines because you'll, A, you'll never let us not be that. Yeah. And B, you'll never fucking let us like not remember that, right? You'll always <laughs> find a way to kind of bring us down to some level, which is fine because dudes are resilient and they're always yeah. going to find a way. And that's what kind of made it interesting. So it's like, you know, it's like people might not be thinking we're special. Marine Corps might not, they might be hating us, you know, or whatever. But like, dude, we're like, we're putting in the work. We're, we're, we're doing what Marines do best. Like we're like, Hey, we have a task condition standard and we're going to execute this. We're going to produce the best students. We're going to make sure these dudes are smart. We're going to make sure these guys are strong uh, because they're going to, at the time, you know, our first, second battalion, we're strictly just Afghanistan involved. And I mean, shit, we're running, three teams, three companies before we ever went to four teams, four companies. And that's, you know, dudes are just turning and burning. They're coming back home for a few months. They're deploying out again. And we're going to the Helmand province. We're going to Sangin. Like we're going to very non, non, you know, contentious spots, right? These are very active, actively involved areas. And, you know, that alone had a toll on guys. Hmm. And you go do that repeatedly. You come back home, you get treated like shit because you didn't like, do i don't know like some insert some check in the box that needs to get done it's just like what <laughs> i'm not above it but damn i can't i can't even come home and like drop my bag off first before i'm just getting grilled you know drilled out about something silly seemed like but yeah everything's always silly to you compared that it is to someone else and i think a lot of us had like had that mindset to where at least i did i'm like no one's gonna tell me I'm special, but I'm gonna fucking act the part, dude. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna take care of my dudes. I'm gonna fucking use my rank how it's intended to. I'm gonna force multiply every chance I can. I'm gonna make sure that like I'm doing my part because these other people don't really control me. You know, yeah. like, they have their saying, but at the end of the day, I have a say in who I'm how I'm gonna show up. You know, and, and most of the guys did they they showed up as, as complete professionals as they possibly could because we knew that what was at stake. You yeah, know, other sister services are looking at us. We're like, no, bro, we're not punks, bro. We're like. We're not coming for your jobs. Yeah. We're just coming to work alongside you. And just so happens we take some of your jobs because we're actually doing pretty good. And that's really what happened as Marslock progressed. Just the leadership transformed, the the ideology transformed, the training transformed, the standards, standards transformed. And we had almost this legacy now where we have these officers that are going through the courses that are now holding higher ranked billets at, you know, from ground zero to this new level now. And that gave us a little bit more skin in the game. And I mean, in my personal opinion, I, I think Marslock absolutely crushed. You know, very mm-hmm. educational, very resourceful, 
And I mean, if you can do those two things on the battlefield, if you can be self-sustaining and like very resourceful with all the assets and needs that you need and to adapt, you know, not to be a one trick pony, but to find new modalities, methodologies to like go execute your tasks. Like you are a force multiplier in my personal and professional opinion. That's exactly what we were at the time. Right. You were an extremely fast riser riser through the ranks. Um, you know, I've heard some say that you were the fastest up the chain to master sergeant. Um, you get to that position, your senior position. What what did you want to see happen with Marsoc? What was the goal going forward? I mean, you're in a very you know you're in a very up there position. You're finally starting to really impact some change, probably, or you probably feel that way. <clears throat> what did you? Were you happy with the direction it was going? Not really. I wanted to see a standard. I thought there was a lack of standard for a lot of parts. I thought, you know, at times I felt like the the team guy, the the CSO, the critical skill operator, weren't the main focus uh, with a lot of things. Um, but at the same time, I saw how the the CSO was also like the the cancer at the same time. You know, I I saw kind of both sides of that that position where we can't get into the massages or the the therapy sessions. I'm like, but you didn't even sign your name on the list. You know, like you didn't even. You didn't, even, you didn't even make that first step. But then sometimes I saw it where that wasn't the case and we're being stack jumped by, you know, support personnel that just checked in. And I felt like, I felt like this sec, I felt like there was a big miscommunication of what we were. I felt like there was like them and them, like those mm. and them. And this definitive line, it was like, yo, dude, we're all working together. So why am I walking into our headquarters building, getting mean bugged by this like, administrative person nothing against admin people i had a bunch of friends that's how i was successful i didn't treat people like shit and that's how i took care of my guys i had friends all over in every job right but you're like dude why is this guy mean mugging me this dude doesn't even know me like i'm actually like on a like a tactical picture on on at the least at the time on the wall in my headquarters building Mm -hmm. uh because they're setting up this like historical like lineage shit and um I'm like, dude, why are why are why are we me mugging our own? Why are we peacocking and chest puffing in front of each other? I'm like, why aren't we one? And I felt like that was a big just cyst needing mm. to get popped. And you know, for me being in the teams and working my way up from like a point man all the way up into you know, I'm in, now at this point I'm in charge of an entire company, so four teams, you know, over a hundred support enabler people. On top of that, in deployment, I'm in charge of SILs, Green Berets, like all these multiple teams in multiple countries, managing it all at once. Like, I had some pretty big responsibility. And seeing that level and that perspective of thing, I just realized that, like, you know, the standard, I thought, in my personal opinion, I thought, like, a lot of standards was lacking. There's this big stigma, just I think in the military in general, where if you mess up, you get kind of promoted. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you, cause you're that person's generally, they've been in long enough where they're a very senior rank and there's not many people that are that rank or there's not that many people that are available to fill this very key position because everyone else is on a team or doing something else, you know? And I noticed that a lot and I got, I got tired of that. I realized that there's a lot of guys out there that were really chasing their, you know, chest candy at the sacrifice and the expense of the dudes at the ground. Not like they would put guys in harm's way. They would just be thinking about how can they influence the battle space? Vice, how can we support our dudes and our gals that are supporting the battle, you know, that are operating in the battle space? And that part pissed me off a mm. lot. Uh, you know, and then seeing people, how they hold their breath, they hold their tongue, and they don't speak the truth to, to like, you know, the commander, like when he's like, does anyone have any things to say? And people are scared to step up and be like, sir, I think this is actually a really 
poorly planned mission or, you know, and people are afraid to get their like toes stomped on. I'm like, bro, we're in the business of like literally like life and death, like straight killing, (laughs) right? Killing in like battle space influence. Like how are we scared to like speak our truth and how are, how are we not holding these guys accountable, you know? Uh, And that part was really frustrating to me. And I saw how, people would try to like backstab each other. And so I was really about like setting that standard. I remember I had a team guy who was a E8, uh, honestly a great guy. He just was not a great E8 team chief. He wasn't a Mm -hmm. great leader at the time and nothing against him. He just was never shown. He was a product of the environment where you get just kind of get passed off and you get bumped around. You don't really get held accountable. You just get moved to different positions. And certain times, you're going to get pick up rank, and now you're going to take a position that you might not want, but the Marine Corps, the unit's telling you, hey, now you have to do it. So now they feel weird because inside they don't want to do it. They're not prepared to do it, but they're forced to do it. And if they say anything about it, they're insert whatever name people are going to call them, or they're going to get, you know what I'm saying? It's just, mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, I had a friend that was, he was, he graduated as an E7 because back in the day when Marsoc started, there was no rank restriction. Um, so he was, I think the first class and they ended up graduating him or when he graduated, cause he passed everything. They made him like, I think he was like a team chief. So he's in charge of a team now and he's like new as shit. And he's like, uh, I don't want to be a team chief. I just kind of want to be a dude to like learn how to do this job. And people gave this guy so much shit, you know, that he had the, the gonads to be like, Hey, I'm not prepared to like, yeah. I know, I don't know any of this life. Uh, and it's not right to the team. And at the time, it made sense to me, but I mean, dude, it's kind of like a doggy dog. What? You're not doing your mission? You can't do your job? Let's, let's you know, <laughs> just put you off to the pasture now. You're yeah. like, I'm just like, it's just crazy. When this guy should have been looked up to for admitting his real, like, ideas, he wasn't ready for that. Yeah. I mean, everything can always be done differently. I'm, I'm a f- big believer in too, but it's just like, you know, in the... It, but it's no different than like, you know, a senior guy in the military, you know, you hear about these other units. If you're the, if you're a younger guy, but you're the senior guy and you're like the most seasoned guy, you're the guy in charge. Right. It doesn't matter what rank you are. Yeah. And really having the whole like system of the rank, it's just like, I don't know. Like I said, maybe it was like a pipe dream to like be able to like change it one day. But I do know that it started with like, I can, every level I went up, I got to influence that space and below and sometimes above, you know, by just setting an example, empowering people. Do you empower people? You'd be surprised what can get accomplished. Yeah. You know, you'd be surprised what stigmas you can change just by like making your team or your unit feel like they're actually cared for and like you see them, you hear them and you feel for them. And, you know, I feel like that's really lacking. So, you know, being able to like look out for these guys that I and gals that I was able to, I was in, dude, that shit was like the coolest thing ever. Like, mm-hmm. screw all the combat stories; those are those are cool, I suppose. But like, not even cool. They were never cool. They were they were just stories that helped forge me who I am today. But seeing these people transform their lives because a belief is put into them, or you know, they're given like actually power and authority. I mean, that is that's what's inspiring because that's what a force multiplier is, and. You know, that unit, is just like many units, are full of force multipliers. The problem is, is most of the time, they're just not treated that way. So, right. you'll never either know or B, these people get pissed off and they leave. You know, and they maybe wanted to do this for a long time. So, that's what I want to do. As I wanted to take over the unit, that was my goal to take over the unit. Hell, I wanted to be in charge of SOCOM. Like, mm. that was like, because this fit my plan. Like, I completely could have done it. I had at the time, if I stayed into 30 years, I could have been... I had, I think, 12 years left hmm. to do all these things. Yeah. 
No one would have been in. Like, none of my the guys senior than me would have been even in that chain of command at that point in time. Like, I would have outlived them in years in the military. Right. But I was just as senior as most of them. Because at the time, I was like an E8 for three years already. You know, so like, and I still had like 11 years left if I maxed out to like 30 years in the military. Um, but yeah, because I think a standard really gives people that buy into like, you know, find their why and to like be taken care of. And as I got older and I saw how I was suffering with a lot of stuff and guys were suffering stuff, like people need advocates. And some guys, no matter how tough they are in the battlefield, they're just not tough for themselves, you know, and they need that those people that are like can see that shit and like support them and educate them and encourage them. So they're not scared to like I was when I was a, you know, E six trying to get mental health help and all that negative, you know, stigmas associated with like, Oh my, it's like, it's like, how are we supposed to, how are we supposed to grow and change if we can't even change the way we think and see like, you know, when do you become the problem instead of the solution in your own, like, you know, you know, system that you can, can actually control and, it's always fascinating. Right. You you wanted to make it to 30 years, you said. <laughs> no, I did not. No, you did not. Did definitely did I not. Did not want to make it. I just knew that I had that space to do that. Right. So I was I was an E8 already. To. Yeah, I was very able to. So when it came to like pitching myself to Marslock, I was like, yo, dude, like I could be that guy. Like, what job do I need to go to to go do that? You know, I've already done a couple like joint billets at this point. I realized that if I wanted to diversify myself, I had to go do things that were uncomfortable or may not be as cool, but dude, that's where I was going to learn. You know, all the knowledge is there. It's not where I'm comfortable at. It's where I have no idea what it is. And, but, you know, being a young guy and looking like I did, you know, fully tattooed, I was very, I walked confidently. I spoke, you know, spoke up for myself. I spoke up for other people. That was not really, that wasn't really encouraged. You know, Mm -hmm. I was, they knew that, I was going to say stuff, you know, like I remember plenty of times, Cody, don't ask the general any questions, you know, like tell me because I'm going to ask something not as a child, but thought provoking. Cause I'm, I'm curious, you know, like I don't believe in that, like blind orders. I was a Marine that was always asking why, like, why am I doing this? Not like I'm challenging you or being combative, but like if I now know why I have a belief in it, if I have a belief in it, then I can make sure that I'm doing everything in my power to like make it as successful as possible, especially when times are going to get very challenging. Uh, but that's just, I realized that that just wasn't a thing, you know? Luckily, mm-hmm. I had a really good support network and a lot of great senior enlisted that do my entire MARSOC Marine Corps career just really looking out for me. Like, yeah. you know, I definitely didn't have like a clean slate the entire time and you know, from accusations or investigations or, you know, people saying, you know, whatever the hell people say when they're butthurt and they talk shit, try to put people down, you know, I had these, these older dudes that were like, you know, speaking up for me and like, that's, that's powerful. Dude. Right, like, yeah. makes you, made me feel really loved and very, just very grateful that these, these old timers, but these t- guys have been in 20 plus years, bro. They don't owe me shit. Yeah. And they're just like sticking their neck out for me. I'm just like, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, bro makes you feel good, you know, it makes you feel like, okay, that's what I needed to like keep on moving forward. Like people actually do care, you know, yeah. like, and they're encouraging you and they're like, man, you're such a good leader, bro. This unit's not going to be the same when you leave. And I started to realize towards the end of my career that do the Cody Alfords, the other names, you know, my guys are still active duty, so I won't mention the names, but the, the Ralphs out there, the, 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 the Nicks, all these, these people out there, like they're not being replaced. There's no, 
versions of them coming through the pipeline anytime soon, you know? Yeah. Now we have this, like, at that time, this, like, Instagram, social media, attach your flag to the black of your plate carrier because you saw it on Instagram post. You know what I'm saying? Like, that era of people were coming through the pipeline and, you know, that era of officers were growing, you know, from whatever they came from the Marine Corps to where they're at now. And it was just a new dynamic. And, you know, a standard is very crucial as organizations grow and develop and old ways don't necessarily produce, you know, new results. Uh, and as times change, you know, we should adapt and overcome to it. And so, you know, those are always struggling parts too, because if when you care about something and it represents you and you represent it, why wouldn't you want to produce a great product, you know? And nothing else made me feel bad when like I'd go up to, a, you know, briefing in Germany to, you know, to operate in another country and they're like, oh, you guys, uh, you guys with them, the Marsoc people, I'm like, like, dude, I'm not, you know, I'm like, who are you? You're like a monkey in a suit, bro. <laughs> like, are you this fucking, are you this incompetent? You know, yeah. like, is, is, is nothing serious to you? Is there no respect in the, in the game that you come from? And I just, it was just annoying. No. It's just like, bro, you're giving us guns and grenades and telling us to go like, do, do the work, you know, make decisions by ourselves. But when I come here to this circus arena, things are a joke. Yeah. You know, and I just never understood that. And I never really liked being back at home. Um, because downrange, you're there, you're in your flow state. You're, it's really easy actually. Yeah. And so I, I enjoyed those moments, but as I got older, I didn't enjoy any of them because I realized it was all a fucking system and it's all just bureaucracy. And it's all red tape. And the farther you go up, the crazier it is. And once you start seeing things behind the curtain, you know, and you're like, why are we not getting support? You know, I still can't comprehend this. Yeah. It just really started to change my perspective of everything. But, you know, I've always been a different thinker. You know, there's, I'm not, there's not, there wasn't a lot of peers that were like me. There wasn't a lot of senior guys that were like me. So, I mean, what was I supposed to expect? You know, like you're going to encounter different resistance when you're a different person compared to the pack, mm -hmm. you know, good or bad. I'm not saying I was better than anybody. I'm just, I was just different. Uh, but that's also what made my experience extremely unique and, you know, fulfilling. Yeah. So you get to 15, you know, you did 15 and a half years. Did you want to make it to 20? Was that the goal? Or once you were up that high and you started, you know, the med board process or whatever happened at that point, did you realize, you know, hey, man, I'm I'm, I'm good with it. Like, I'm ready to go. Uh, I actually got back from my last deployment. So this is my sixth combat deployment this time, seventh deployment in total. And uh, I'm like... I was butthurt, a lot of bad leadership, a lot of bad, just dramas, dude, drama stuff, bro. It's like Desperate Housewives with guns <laughs> and, and like, you know, air platforms Some at times, you know, and I was just pissed. I was so pissed. And a few of my guys, my senior guys were pissed as well. And we just come back home, we're just like bitching and venting. And I had to go talk to the shrink uh, because we call it like home location decompression. You know, they're like, Hey, we do your admin stuff. We talk to the chaplain you talk to a psych, you talk to the sports medicine person, you make sure your pay is good to go. And then you go home for like 96 hours and then you like come to work and start, you know, checking shit back in before you take leave. And I get to the psych and he's like, so tell me what's going on. I'm like, you know, screw you, bro. I've told my story like a gazillion times. Nothing's ever happened. I'll tell you what. I'm like, I, I need Adderall and I'm my sleep fixed now. And like, you can do that for me. Like, I'll, I'll talk to you and sure shit to this guy, like straight up took care of me. His name's Kevin. He's literally like the greatest ever that, you know, that organization has ever had in my personal opinion. And, um, 
anyways, he, he looks after me and he gets me going. This is about 13 and a half years in now. So I came back from my sixth deployment. I say seventh, uh, seven deployments total. I was in Iraq, in uh, Africa just under 90 days. So I mm. went, I didn't get my ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> I only made it like 70 days, guys. Sorry, I'm not a true hero. <laughs> uh, but you know, being my sixth combat deployment, this one, I was just, I was, I fucking done, dude. I, he started getting me help. I realized I was just, I was so tired. I was always fatigued. And that's when I went to our traumatic brain injury or TBI clinic, uh, Intrepid Spirit in Camp Lejeune. I'm on the East Coast now. And, um, you know, they do all my sleep study tests. And long story short, I'm finally in front of a neurosurgeon. He's like, hey, dude, what if I told you you couldn't be a Marine anymore? I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, I'm thrown off. But at the same time, I'm like, I always told myself I'd only get out of the Marine Corps early, you know, if... I'd only, you know, I'm only going to retire or like medically retire. Like those are my only two options because I lived in scarcity. I was lived in fear of like, what am I going to do when I get out? I got to do 20 because I need my retirement. You know, like I had this vision, this mindset about all this type of stuff. And so I'm like, I go to my command, to my medical staff there. I'm like, dude, I, what the fuck do I do? And they tell me about this thing called Terra. And so if you're part of special operations and you're in at least 15 years and you're found unfit on a medical board, you can early retire. You can submit for your retirement package. And they bought it out Terra uh, back in the day for like when they're trying to get people out of the military early. They're like, oh, hey, you've been a E5 for 12 years. It's time to go. And congratulations, early retirement. Hustle away, go. And so I heard about this and I'm like, uh, okay, that's cool. But that's like a year and a half out. What do I do? Well, little did I know that the medical board process is super long and I was doing a bunch of medical train treatments because I'm like, dude, if I'm getting out, even because I'm either medically, I'm getting retired or I'm just getting out. Like, I'm clearly suffering. You know, I'm not going to yeah. make it 20 years. Uh, and you know, just like anything else, you, for me at least, you start working on yourself once and you start pulling that string and everything starts like coming unraveled. The more you like start, oh, my head hurts. Oh shit, my back hurts. Oh, now that I'm actually giving myself some time to like be real and a human, so. You know, I'm going through all these different treatments for about a year and a half, uh, trying to set myself up for success because I knew that I was going to have a much harder time getting any sort of help as a civilian, even a retiree, than I would as because active duty takes priority. You know, so I was like milking the active duty aspect as much as I could, like because I knew in a matter of months I'm going to be retired. And at this point, it was like a matter of months, and I knew it was going to be retired or out. And I'm like, dude, I gotta like, I'm pretty fucked up. Um, so. And at this point, like cognitively, I was just crashing. I was on like three different uppers to stay awake. Um, uh, just caffeine all the time, passing out continuously. I needed like, I was completely stressed out of life. And so like, it was my main mission to like create as much least responsibility that I possibly could. So try being a special operations guy who's been an EA for three years uh, and then go up to your boss and say like, hey, I need no responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But I realized that if I didn't do that, I was, you know, some something was going to suffer. And if I didn't do that, I never would have known. It was like I had to stand up for myself and that shit was like hard as fuck. You know, that was it's almost like a doggy dog community. Like, whoa, we're invincible. Meanwhile, my my homies are like crushing like a case of like Miller Lite a night. You know, like they're not stable. They're yeah. just surviving. They're on fumes. And, you know, at this time, dudes aren't talking about, hey, bro, how you feeling, man? You know, like, no one was talking about that shit. No one's talking about any of this stuff. And it was like, I, I want to go get, like, checked out. But, like, I'm afraid they're going to take my clearance. I'm like, whatever. So, I went on this mission to, like, tell everyone what I was doing. 
uh, how I got on testosterone, you know, how I got Viagra, you know what I'm saying? Like how I got my sleep study, how I got Adderall, how do I got all these, how I went to like this like brain appointment and this brain procedure. Like I started telling people all these things uh, because there was so much stigmas that were keeping guys from getting any help. So I'm like, dude, you're not going to lose your clearance. You know, I had the top clearance that you could possibly have. And they, you know, redid my stuff before I even got out. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't lose these things. Yeah. But there's this big stigma that keeps people from there. And then at this point in time in my life, I realized there's there's entities inside Marslock, at least um, at the time, it's called the Care Coalition. Now I think it's called the Warrior Care Coalition. Mm-hmm. And dude, uh, we have uh, this guy, his name is Brian Link. He's a, he's a retired Sergeant Major in Marslock. And I mean, in my personal opinion, he was a real Marine Sergeant Major insert whatever stigma you want to associate with that. Mm-hmm. But as a retiree civilian doing his job, dude, this guy, wealth of knowledge, always helping dudes out. Dude, the, dude he's like the man, right? And he's mm-hmm. always trying to push these briefs and, you know, bring awareness that now I'm finding out too because now I'm, I'm catching wind of all these things that exist. And he's like, bro, I can't get guys to go to these things. So, I started taking his PowerPoints and telling people about it and telling them about like, dude, you know, we have in this building like all these different treatment aspects and we have all these different things and I, I realized there was actually like a group of guys at the unit trying to help people out. And we have our, our, our performance, human performance staff, these civilians, collegiate coaches and insert crazy years of college degrees to like, I don't know, psychology, just crazy stuff wanting to help the guys, but the guys don't know about it. Mm. Or if they do know about it, they stay away from it because they, they don't want to be judged by their own team. They don't want to risk missing a school or being deployed. You know I mean? Shit. The pipeline for Marsock is a, damn year a year and a half yeah and that's a long time that's a long commitment uh just to like oh hey you said you had an issue with you <laughs> later bro most guys don't want to do that right so they do what they do best they suffer and they push forward until something breaks and at this point in time in my life everything was breaking and as i pondered more on it you know even my work prior to that i was showing a lot of telltale signs of being extremely fatigued and just really the stress of that 18 plus hour deployment, you know, staring at, you know, screens and yelling on the phone and, you know, doing my job, you know, like just, it was it just, just adds up, you know, all yeah. those years add up. And I was realizing that I was like suffering at my own, I had a really easy chat job to do. It was almost like a made up billet almost. And uh, it was super simple. I was managing like two other E8s that ran two companies of like, you know, I was at the training schoolhouse at the time, our Marine Raider Training Center. And I'm like, dude, this is so fucking stupid. Like, I'm at, I'm trying to go to appointments and I'm being like harassed. Like, when am I coming back? You know, like, how many more of these appointments you have? I'm like, dude, you signed my packet. Yeah. <laughs> you approved me. And you're stressing me the fuck out. And so now I'm at my appointments, you know, which are like 30 minutes away, 45 minutes away that I'm driving to every day. Uh, and I'm telling them like, when do you want your next appointment? I'm like, I need you to stack as many as appointments in one day as you can. Because driving down here every day is stressing me out. My command is stressing me out. Uh, all this type of shit. And it was just, I'm like, I'm trying to get help. And yeah. I'm on the brink of like straight going insane inside. Like, I'm desperate for help. I'm getting lost everywhere. I'm passing out. I'm fucking, I can't remember shit. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm going down fairly quickly. And the more I try to investigate and work on myself, the more, you know, things that are coming up to fruition. I'm like, oh my God, bro. Like, the glue is like, 
It's like that Chevy Chase scene uh, under, uh, I think it was like Vegas Vacation. They're in like the dam and there's a piece of gum on like the dam wall. They're in this tunnel system and he moves a piece of gum and like just water starts spewing out and he like tries to plug it and then another hole spews out. Yeah, and yeah. It's just a never ending thing. And I kind of felt like that was like what my life was. And one of my senior enlisted at the time, he, you know, he told me a very sound statement. He's like, Cody, we're all going through something hard. But then that's when I stopped. And I really fucking, you know, looked at my entire career and I looked at everything that was happening. I'm just like, I'm not like you, you know, and mm. no one's like me and no one cares about me as much as I care about myself. And I saw it time and time again, guys get killed, guys kill themselves, guys get fired, uh, instantly replaced. You know, no one's calling you the next day. Hey, where's the TPS report? Like you're done. Like you mm. just were replaced. And so I knew that that was kind of the thing, right? Like, yes, your bros love you, like you. you know, you're a number, bro. You're a number. Yeah. And I'm just like, fuck this, dude. Like, how much more blood, sweat, and tears I need to give this place before I'm respected enough to be like, to not only have the nuts to tell you, like, dude, I need help, but to tell you, like, bro, I'm desperate for help. Mm. Like, super senior guy, great reputation, you know, and I'm having the hardest time you know, trying to move forward with this whole thing. And luckily I had a uh, battalion, I had a, uh, the commander of the schoolhouse and the E9 there, they were, they were very open, very receptive and gave me that space, gave me that opportunity. And I'm just forever grateful uh, because without their help, you know, I wouldn't probably end up as, as smooth as it was for me to transition out, you know, but doing my, my medical board was super stressful. Cause I'm like, fuck, what if I don't get, what if, what if I'm making this stuff up? You know, like what if, you know, you tell people that you, that you eat a hundred rockets, they think you're lying, you know, yeah. they tell you that you you, you stand behind like constant explosions, throwing up and seeing shockwaves, you know, it, it sounds unreal, but do war is unreal, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of these things were unreal. And I'm just like, what if these aren't good enough reasons or requirements to be found like, you know, unfit or fit for duty? Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. Like. And I was just really nervous. I was really scared. And I was constantly reminded, like, dude, you just, you'll be fine. You know, let go. So, stress alone kills, like, hell of Americans. So, I mean, you can create cancer from stress. Uh, and I'm, like, doing my best to, like, not stress myself. My hair's falling out. I cracked a tooth because I was, like, grinding my teeth all the time. My butt cheeks were, like, never relaxed. Uh, my traps were, like, up to my ear. I just had so much tension in my body. And I'm just... I'm really breaking down at this point. And so I find myself in Florida doing this uh, brain treatment called MERT. It's uh, I forget the exact acronym, but it's like magnets for your forehead and the back of your head. And basically uh, it stimulates neural highways and pathways to get those low functioning areas of your brain to be stimulated and to function properly. And, you know, I went down to Florida not being able to navigate on my GPS. You know, I got lost in an empty apartment. Um, I couldn't even boil water. Uh, setting out clothes, yeah, right. Putting food in my face, yeah, right. Like I was really in a like very bad wow. functioning shape, uh, and I was and just super depressed. I'm like, dude, this is my fucking life now. I went from like superhero man to like pathetic, lethargic, no energy, very victim, very helpless, hopeless, fucking like person. I'm like, dude, everything about my life is changing, and I don't know what to do about it. Mm. And it was in a very short amount of time too, and. Now you're, and then you're, now I'm being judged by my friends. Like, Cody, it's not that bad. Hey, it can't be that bad. I'm like, what? When have I ever like fucked you over or like malingered? When have you ever seen me say, do anything like this? You know, like yeah. you, you see me perform. Why isn't this being taken with the same grain of salt, you know? And 
But I realized that it's different. I realized that there was a big issue with, you know, standing up for yourself in the military. And I realized there was an even bigger issue. My own command, these guys and gals have like access to all these things. So as I'm using every program that I can possibly get my hands on, you know, because I'm trying to maximize my flow before I get out and like kind of screwed, you know, I'm sharing with all the dudes. And it's always funny. I I get the, my command, let me hold some briefs and like talk about like what I was going through and you know, I'm like, oh, I got all this fucking crazy anxiety. And if I don't tell you that, I'll just fucking stop breathing and I'll pass out. So now that that's out of the way, let's continue on. This is like brief. And I tell guys about the shit I was doing and the shit they have access to. And I'm like, hey, are there any questions? And obviously none. And then obviously when they leave, like, hey, 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 man, where, where did you go get that one thing at? How, who had contact for this? You know, like they come up and it's just crazy that these dudes will like can put on night vision, pack explosives in their packs and, you know, multiple ammunition in their in their on their plates and, you know, fist pump each other and get on a helicopter and insert in the fucking pitch blackness, right? Mm-hmm. And fucking hold security as the, as the bird, you know, dust off and the dust settles and they can go on a patrol for about, a, you know, an hour and establish, you know, fucking fighting positions and, you know, breach into fucking compounds and do their job and not ever speak one word. Yeah. They can do all that crazy ass shit. But to raise your hand for help at home is fucking impossible. Or to like be in front of their peer group and be like, hey, uh, I know you mentioned erectile dysfunction. You know, what's that about? Oh, wait, you can have that from stress and TBI and fucking all these. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're just afraid to get educated about things. And it's just very fascinating to me. And then I realized that there's a big gap in like the knowledge. So... You know, you said the med board took a little while, uh, and that, that process, you know, it's not obviously a little painstaking and commands fighting you a little bit. Luckily, you've got a good E9 in place there that helps support you through that. When you got out, you said the transition was smooth, but I know you had some battles after. What was the toughest part about getting out of the Marine Corps? And, and what was that feeling like when one day you're not putting that uniform on anymore. You're going from 100 to zero, right? It's completely different. Yeah, I was super happy to be done. Like, I was so stoked to get my DD-214. I was so happy because I was like, dude, I was blessed with life. You know, I, I got out four and a half years early, you know, than from what I would have done a 20-year stint. And I had a four years all my life now that I can, like, do something with and I was very hopeful, but the hardest thing was I didn't know anything. I didn't even know who I was. You know, I was, you know, for 15 years, that guy. I was, you know, people were telling dragon slaying stories about me. You know, I had this like crazy reputation. Everyone knew me, you know, downtown at the bars. Like everyone had this expectation of me. And, you know, all I knew was the military and all those things. And I'm like, what do I do? I can't even, I can't even go be a contractor with all this shit I got going on now, cause I'm still going through stuff. So like, I literally have to like change everything. Like, cause my plan was to get out and, you know, go work for the agency and, you know, like every other little kid's dream, you know, you just naturally progress yourself up. And that wasn't even a possibility. I remember being called. I was outside my, my command. I just, I just took a nap in my truck. Cause I was, it was a normal thing for me. And he's like, Hey dude, I heard you're retiring soon. I would, I'm, uh, really would like to fast track your packet, you know, for this place I work at. Uh, what do you think? You know, is this something you want to do? I'm like, I can't tell you how much this call means to me. I've been looking forward to this call for, you know, 15 years of my life. Uh, but I can't, you know, I just, I just woke up with droll in my, in my face, bro. Like 
I'm pretty fucked up. You know, I'm falling off motorcycles. I'm like just this different person. And so getting out and saying no to all the things that I wanted to do and, you know, having to give up this identity, you know, was very hard. And my wife asked me like, what would you, what do you want to do? I'm like, fuck, I don't know. I had all these resources from the, the special operations community. Uh, Hey, uh, you know, let me help you with your resume. And what are you interested in? I can set you up appointments with phone calls. I'm like, fuck, I don't know. I never thought about anything else for 15 years. Yeah. Why would I? I'm focused on my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing I did in the meantime, I just drank beer, chased chicks, and rode motorcycles. That's, <laughs> that's what I did in between doing what I did for the for the job. And uh, my wife asked me, she's like, hey, if you had like four weeks left to live, what you want to do? And I'm like, fuck, I don't know. I'm like, I guess just like take pictures and travel around. And so that's what led us to like selling all of her stuff and buying a conversion van and, you know, downsizing our life and moving into that. And, um, I realized that that was probably the best chance I was going to get at like figuring out like, who am I? Cause I'm asking, I didn't even know who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know anything. All I knew was I was, a, I was a job. I was this fucking veteran. I was this, I was angry. I was sad. I was empty. Uh, I hated other veterans. I hated the military. I hated seeing people win. I hated people that I knew that sucked, you know, portraying that they don't suck. I just, I was just really toxic uh, because I didn't know anything. I was hurt and lost about my own existence. And this was an ability for us to uh, kind of figure that out. I think one of my favorite things about when I first started seeing you a few years back on social media and I started paying a little bit of attention and, you know, I was like, who's this Cody Alford guy uh, with the face tats, this wild man. (laughs) And I'm watching you and I noticed something very similar in that you weren't so connected to that background. You weren't using that to perpetuate who you were now. I never wanted to do that. And I noticed in my space and art, I just, you know, I told people all the time, they were like, you know, you tell veteran stories. So you, you were excited about getting back to that. And I said, no, absolutely not. I just want to be a dirty, nasty civilian. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wanted to be an artist, bro. I wanted to be with the purple haired weirdo at the bar, like hanging out and having weird talks about Van Gogh and like, you know, where, when he lost his mind and, you know, and just developed my own artist identity. I didn't care about any of the service. Guys would bring up like Black Rifle Coffee or other companies like that. And I'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, dude. This is it a good story? Like, is it a good human story? That's what I want to know. Right. So, <clears throat> that being said, like, my identity was not tied into the military. Uh, obviously, I had a much shorter career. less Far less successful. Watching you in that role and being able to step outside of that, I, I was impacted by your ability to step outside of that not use that as part of your identity you had those experiences but you took those experiences they made you stronger they made you more powerful in everything you were doing in the in the, your future self and since and where you're at now but at the same time i would have never known cody alfred the marine you told some of those stories but i didn't really see much of that how important was it psychologically to take your experiences and build upon those, but also develop your own sense of identity outside of the Marine Corps. I mean, it's like made me who I am today. Um, I realized that I had, like, I sold all my military stuff. I mean, I kept a few things here and there, but I just data, I unloaded so many, so many things, like years, years of things. Uh, because I was just, I remember I was holding on, I was hoarding these things. I, I was like, oh, one day I'm going to have this and that. I'm just like, bro, you're just holding on to shit. And, um, 
obviously I kept things that sentimental to me or, or gifts uh, or, you know, I, I like this, I'm going to keep it, but I only need one of them, not six of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that stuff just because I knew that if I didn't change my environment, if I didn't change what I was doing, if I didn't change the things that I was comfortable, that was comfortable to me, I was never going to change itself. And, you know, downsizing, becoming a minimalist, caused me to be very uncomfortable. I mean, I was very, I was a collector in the military and I was very, uh, what's the word? I liked, I was materialistic. Hmm. I lived this like very high speed life and I liked the very high end, you know, living situation. Um, this like kind of fantasy to justify the emptiness I felt inside. And, you know, so I have four motorcycles. I got two classic vehicles. I have, you know, all these toys and all these all these things that are, you know, I'm identifying with or people are like, Oh, Cody's that guy with that classic blue truck. Like, dude, Cody's that guy for every fucking story. seems like I'm either in a, someone's talking a shit story or someone's like hyping me up story, you know, like it's kind of like this always thing. I'm just like, dude, I got to rewrite all my stories. I got to change everything about me uh, because I couldn't do that anymore. And I knew if I went back to what was comfortable, I was never going to evolve. There was just something that I felt about it where I needed to like reject this comfort of like, being this past uh because i kind of saw that with other people and I, I didn't really i wasn't being inspired by the life they were living and you know most soft guys and most military guys in general and, and girls too like they're they're pieces of meat uh, especially depending on their background you know and they're just like hoard out or you know they're kind of like they're like um they're like the new entertainment you know yeah like, and I didn't want to be another circus clown, uh, not calling everyone clowns, but obviously <laughs> people are still going to get butt hurt. But I didn't want to be that person that was just in that system again, you know, like I can't ever grow and evolve. You know, there was, there was guys that I was on the medical board process with for my unit that said they were so done and, and hated it and were just like done with it, all ready to get out of there. Well, these guys were contractors for my unit before they even went on terminal leave. You know, they, they already signed a contract because of money. And I'm like, I didn't want to be that guy. Yeah. There's so many guys I saw that were just fake and they had no power. They were like great dudes in uniform, but they were just fucking, they lacked really any belief. They weren't even understanding the shit that they were saying. How do you go saying you hate this job? You're done with it. It stresses you out, but you're wearing a polo shirt the next day. Yeah. It's like, do you not even remember the things that you said? You think this is really going to help? Do you really want to live, bro? Like, or do you want to be that story of that? that guy that's mowing lawns, drinking Miller Lite, and then he fucking dies one day. Because all he has is hanging on to the past. You know, all he has is, like, what happened fucking last year or two years ago or, you know, whatever. And I, I didn't want to be that guy, dude. There's, I did not want to be that guy. Mm. And so, I did everything I could to, like, not do that. Yeah. And that's why I went to the most extreme route. <laughs> you did. Yeah. You bought the van. <laughs> yeah, the van. That was pretty extreme. What, what was the process for that? Did your did your wife buy fully into that? Was she stoked? Yeah, she was super down. She was extremely supportive. Uh, Stephanie, she's the one that asked me and posed these questions. And mm. as soon as I said yes, you know, she definitely started taking like massive action steps to like get it done. And you know, I was doing it as well. You know, trying to find a van, source that, do research on that, see that's the best option. Um, and you know, getting back home from Florida, she is. You know, she's downsizing her life. She's like <laughs> encouraging me to like get rid of stuff and like do things. And I was like really putting up a fight, not really helping out. Just a lot of victim. What was me? Like lost, depressed, still drilling on myself, still always tired, still kind of brain slow, like brain foggy. I'm like, 
just it was very easy to feel sorry and like slow down she makes everything happen um you know and she was definitely on board what was it like taking those first steps out there scary, in the van scary scary yeah we took like a two month like voyage uh just to like I, I packed way much too much shit you know i packed it almost like i was going on a trip vice living in there you know, I, I got two is one, one is none. I got all these things. Well, if we get attacked, I got this, you know. <laughs> if we need this huge medical pack times two, we need just like overkill with shit. Because uh, I was still like holding on to like any resemblance of like a life that I had. You know, go from the super huge house to like 70 fucking square feet is, is, a, is a change. Oh, yeah. And um, so it was it was challenging. Because I was depressed and then I didn't know what to do and it was uncomfortable. And we didn't really do too much research. We just really pulled the trigger and it happened within months. And I remember, you know, we were staying at Walmart parking lots at, you know, as we're driving, traveling someplace and because they were pretty convenient and there's a bathroom there and stuff like that. And, but dude, so sketch. It was like hard for me to like sleep inside my van. You know, I'm not looking at any windows. It's just weird to like let my, not my guard down, but let my, yeah, maybe let my guard down and just like really just be present, not always thinking worst case scenario or like being toxic and being negative all the time. So like, oh, dude, I'm battling all the things. Like I'm battling belief systems. I'm battling, you know, who I am. I'm battling what I want. I'm battling the fucking reflection I see in the mirror. Like there is just, there is like a, there's a war going on in my mind. Uh, I'm not suicidal at this point. I'm not like, you know, trying to hurt myself. I'm just, I'm just fucking struggling to like make it. So yeah what does we defy the norm where does that idea come from what's that about as a whole yeah so we defy the norm is uh the company i started back in 2018 and i realized as i was like sharing my message on social media i realized that it was like gaining a lot of traction like this soft guy talking about feelings and emotions and fucking anxiety and depression and like that was like taboo you know and then like that brought on the shit talkers, you know, that brought on on the naysayers. And, but it also like, I started to realize that people were like, Oh my God, I feel this too. Or, Oh man, I never even looked at it that way or blah, blah, blah. What did you do for this? What'd you do for that? And I just realized I was like, being able to like help all these people by fucking my own misery. Um, my fucking pain points. And, uh, I came up with this idea. We defy the norm. Um, Cause I wanted to fucking change the world. I wanted to like make a ripple. You know, I wanted to like leave my mark. I wanted to show people that you don't have to be what you were yesterday. You don't have to fall in line with what society tells you or what your fucking parents tell you or what your, this, the sequence of events tells you, you know, as a soft guy, you're supposed to get out and make six figures at a minimum, you know, and like go work for like a, you know, a corporate, you know, all these other places. And I'm just like, fuck that dude. I don't want to do that shit. You know, I want to, I want to figure out who I am. Like, can I make it on my own? Can I go do something? And, you know, who am I to go get in a van and sell my shit and like tell people how I feel? And then I'm like, that's who I am. I'm that guy, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, and there's other people out there too, and they don't need permission to step up and like have a say in how they want to live their life. And dude, I had this four and a half year head start to fucking live and be free. And, you know, I was on this mission to spread that fucking word and as I built like my following by sharing my story, I, you know, I, I created, we defy the norm to like share my feelings and emotions through art and design. And to, you know, that was hard too. Cause oh, another veteran 
t-shirt company mm-hmm. guy, but you know, none of my shit was like about killing or no. dirt naps or, <laughs> you know, warheads and foreheads or <laughs> come and take this. You know, it was, I thought it was fucking challenging. It was, it was challenging perspectives. It was not the cliche easiest thing. You know, I definitely could have pulled a lot of other triggers that would have financially at the time, like made me way more money, way more impact. But I was really just looking forward to like step up and being leader and taking on entrepreneurship as like that ability to do that. Right. I'm not asking for permission. I'm just kind of fucking around and finding out. And I have this like feeling inside that says I'm not basic. You know, I'm not one to just follow people. I'm a pet, you know, I'm a trendsetter, dude. I paved the fucking way. And, you know, I just felt that I didn't go through all those things that I went through to like hold them all inside. I didn't meet all those guys that never came back home or I never was part of these, these things and had great mentors and leaders that took care of me and like held me accountable and did these things for me to like give up myself at this point in life. So I took my pain and I turned it into my fucking passion. I took, you know, all the hell I was going through and I turned that into like a fucking business. And I mean, we defy the norm is simply that dude. It's like, we're taking ownership of our own lives. We're defying conformity and investing in ourselves. And I realize those aren't terms that are sexy and, and, and popping to people, right? We're in, we live in a veteran world where the use of boy and goon and squad and, you know, the repetitive perpetuating hate and discontent around the fucking battle space and social media is all the same, right? There's no, ele- ele- you know, elevating and leveling up fucking mindsets and people, right? And I didn't want to just be around veterans. At the time, I tried to do my best to stay away from veterans because there was a lot of victim mentalities and, you know, I can't fucking swim if I'm being drowned by you. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I, and I can't, it's the same thing they tell you like in the airport or the airplane, Put your oxygen mask on first and go, you know, help someone else out. But you ain't helping nobody if you ain't taking care of yourself. And I realized, like, you know, dude, I started this when I was in the military. It was already uncomfortable then. I'm not stopping. I'm just going to keep on taking care of myself and exploring different modalities to help heal and, you know, answer the questions I deemed important in my life. And that's what We Defy the Norm is. And that's what it still is today. You know, it's an evolving, it's an evolving community that, you know, you don't have to be military. You don't have to be in combat, right? I, try, I just, I just, I use my experience of this great, I know I have a great, you know, historical Rolodex of experience and I'm so blessed to have that because I get, I have even more skin in the game. Mm-hmm. You can't challenge my DD-214. I know what's on there, bro. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. You, you can't challenge these things. So, therefore, it gives me even more ability to challenge the status quo. I'm like, bro, you're going to be a tough guy. You don't have to go to combat to get 100% VA. You just need to get your head out of your butt and go submit for it. You know, that's... That's I, I take pride in that shit. The real important stuff. Oh, I, I wanted to be soft, but I was... Dude, shut up, bro. You did something that nine out of ten homies that you know didn't do. Right, yeah. Why aren't you proud about that? Yeah. And, and helping people see that you know what they're going through in life is actually something to be truly proud of. They just don't see it that way because they're a product of their environment. And, and nine times out of ten, the product of your environment doesn't want to see you win. And it does, definitely doesn't want to encourage you to fucking grow. Yeah. And so, We Defy the Norm was literally... You know, me and my wife rejecting, you know, mediocrity, rejecting this average way of living because, I mean, it comes down to put your, you know, talk, don't talk about it, be about it, you know, put your money where your mouth is. And I wanted to heal. And I knew if I didn't do what I was doing, if I didn't start weedify the norm, if I didn't start listening to the voice inside my mind, you know, in my heart, you know, and following this like new level of thinking, I knew that I was just going to end up. Wasting an opportunity, you know, all these things, all those lessons and hardships would have been fucking wasted for because at this point in time, I would know I'd been playing small, you know, and 
at this point, everything I've ever done in my life has been scary and unknown. And if I apply any common sense to the way forward, it's going to be scary and unknown. So I just kept that momentum going. And, you know, years later, dude, I'm fucking, I built something pretty big that I'm really stoked on. And, you know, We Defy the Norm touches lives, you know, whether they're veteran, you know, elderly, the youth, you know, I got kids, I got, I got seven year old people messaging me saying, thank you. I'm like, damn, bro. And nine times out of 10, none of these people are even like combat veterans. And to be able to have that impact and to know that there's a lot of civilians out there that like really care about the troops may not see it eye to eye like I do, but they really care and the support and they're open and they're really bought into the whole like, oh, this guy is cool. And they're like, wait a second. Why is this guy talking about like mental health and meditation and like cold water plunges? Like, why is he talking about like what kind of gun Gucci belt setup he has and shit like that? And those are all important things too, right? But I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be that guy because yeah. the the voice inside me, that calling inside me was never to be that fucking guy. Yeah. So, you know, in doing so, I, I, I defy the norm. Mm-hmm. So I fucking created it. Lived up to the motto. <laughs> yeah, and it's not easy. And I failed a shit ton of times and I struggled a shit ton of times, but that's what it was, dude. It wasn't this like perfect thing. And I, when I was struggling, I told people I struggled. Yeah. You know, hey, I just showed this new design to remind me that one time I was fucking trapped inside my head and, you know, this shirt's called It's a Trap and it's a visual, you know, depiction of like how I felt trying to like maneuver forward, but feeling I can't go anywhere. You know, like, Hey, it's, when I'm feeling depressed, I just remember this, live it up daily, you know? Hey, when I'm realizing that, you know, people are going to judge me no matter what I do, whether I win or whether I lose, you know, I made this shirt doing my thing because, you know, I love DMT, you know, I love doing my thing. And this is, this is what I remind myself as I'm pushing forward and to be able to create something that I'm going to wear and to create something that actually means something to me. And on top of that, spin it in a way where people can understand, you know, not make it so one-sided where... You have to have this lifestyle. No, dude. You can literally stand up for yourself in, in school to a bully and defy the norm. You can be 80 years old and realize that, you know what? Today, I'm going to forgive myself from all the shit that, you know, I didn't really like through my life. And I'm going to change my life today. That's fucking defying the norm, right? It's yeah. never too late until we're dead. And seeing how, you know, my, my out-of-body experience when I got shot in the helmet, my, you know, cognitive, you know, degeneration happening where I'm going to like almost a walking vegetable, uh, you know, and then realizing that I was able to just kind of like get past all these hardships at the time and push forward and, you know, not give myself much credit for it, but realizing that dude, all those inches that I'm making are inspiring fucking hundreds and thousands of people. I'm like, well, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get, I gotta reach out to them. I gotta, I gotta do more. Right. Cause this is bigger than me now. Mm-hmm. And so we defy the norm is like us collectively. It's not just, Hey, I defy the norm bros, bros. Good luck. You know, you're cool. If you do, you're, you're not, if you don't know, it's about like, dude, what is, what is the thing that's holding you up in life? What is the one thing that you're conforming to? Right. This is the fucking cheeseburgers, right? Like, are you changing your diet? You know, are you conforming to the fact that you're a people pleaser, you know, and that you finally sit up for yourself? Do you defy the norm, bro? That's something to be proud of. Cause if you can do that, you can change your life. Yep. And I just realized that, you know, for all those years living in this van, going through hell and not knowing anything, losing friends, getting mad, shit talked about me too. When I wasn't even fucking putting that out there in return, you know, it sucked and it, and it challenged me a lot. It made me really ask myself, is this what I want to do? Because do you show up in this world? People are ready to fucking knock you down, you know? And 
you don't show up in this world, people are ready to knock you down. So it's a matter of like, what hard do you want? You know, like I'm not going to be living a hard life sitting on the sideline. I'm going to be living that hard life, making forward progression on the fucking field. Um, cause anything else I'm just not, I'm not actively participating in. Why wouldn't I want to have a badass life? Why wouldn't I want to overcome shit that I say doesn't serve me anymore? Why wouldn't I want to help as many people as I possibly could, you know, through a fucking idea that, wait a second, I can change my life. Yeah. Uh, because that's what it's all about. And that's literally all I did was just change my life and, and doing so and, and believing in myself and allowing myself to be scared, allowing myself to experience new things, allowing myself to allow old stories to go away, old environments to go away and to bring on a new opportunity. I mean, that's, that's what set me free, you know, and I have to remind myself, I haven't made it anywhere. I'm still going, you know, I'm mm. never stopping because if I stop everything I've worked for, Everything that I've ever learned on the battlefield, everything I ever learned from these brave men and women that aren't here today, what's it for then? Hmm. You know, how can I ever live on that message? How can I ever live on that wisdom if I'm not pushing the fight myself and, um, you know, going? Because life is hard. I don't want an easy life. No. Uh, and if it was easy, I wouldn't want it. If there was a perfect button or hack, I wouldn't want perfection. Then what the fuck is there to strive for, dude? I'm always evolving. You know, my belief systems are, I'm always open for more things. I'm always open to new perspectives because I realize that a narrow perspective, a narrow minded person lives in hell constantly, you know, because right. they don't think that there's another possibility. And being that person before and then changing that view of that person being myself, I'm like, wait a second, anything is possible. So I can subscribe to anything that I want to, and I can also create anything I want to, and that's what I'm doing. And along the way, I just encourage others to do the same thing, you know. Um, and that's what led me to like my coaching group, Defy Tribe, and that's what led me to these interactions. You know, you, you hung out with a, you know a friend of mine here, a couple friends of mine, and I I love this stuff. You know, I, I love the fact that when we allow fear to exit our bodies and we just embrace who we are, whether we're goofy, whether we're smart, whether we're we're, we're whatever, right? Once we embrace that and we like, dude, this is what I'm about and I'm not stopping for anybody, dude, that's when you begin your power back and that's when you change your life. And when you change your life, you give someone else permission to do the same thing. And that's what really, that's what shifted it for me and that showed me that it was bigger than me, you know, mm -hmm. crying on my fucking phone, you know, saved hundreds of lives. Um, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. That's incredible, man. You've got these active core classes you talked about, uh, Defy Tribe, right? Yep. I know uh, another name, R3. Yeah, I did a, doing like a rebrand of it. Okay. Yeah, so R3 is what I started out with, Raw Rule Ready, and I'm uh, rebranding it to Defy Tribe. And But basically, I just I help people level up in their mindset and their belief systems. Um, dude, I was extremely successful in the military, and it wasn't by luck, wasn't by chance. You know, I, I, I put in, you know, massive action plans to get to where I'm at. Same with my healing, same with my journey. Um, same thing with the life I live now. You know, I live a homestead life and learning into that, leaning into that, being exposed to that. Like I'm just doing it. I don't, it's not perfect. What is perfect? You know, I'll build a plane as I go. Um, and so that's what I bring to my coaching group is to like help people get out of their own way so they can level up in life. And, you know, we are a sum of the, the people that we hang out with. So if you hang out with losers, if you hang out with toxic negativity people that, all they're doing is getting shit faced and talking crap about someone else. Like, dude, you're not going to elevate. You're not going to change your perspective. Your perspective is going to stay the exact same. Um, or you want to change, but you're too scared to actually change your environment. And so that really comes down to like, how bad do you want it? Cause everything, every change is scary, but you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. Um, 
And so that's why I let people know like, hey, I'm a real person too, you know? Hey, these are the courses and things that I've been to, been exposed to, and, and this is what I've learned from them. And hey, this is what I learned from the military. This is what I learned here. And this is what's helped me get through X, Y, and Z. And, you know, providing value like that, I love serving people, dude. I love it. It, I mean, I was serving people continuously on my phone for three years, not getting paid anything, not even creating anything, just providing value to people, um, suffering a lot on the way, having to learn like, hey, I can't pour from an empty cup. So, you know, I'm really like learning all these different ways to live life and kind of build this life that I'm living out now. Uh, and I never would have been to where I'm at today if I just didn't keep on going. And I haven't, I never would have thought that it was that where I'd be today um, because my civilian life has been very foggy, you know, but as I keep on walking more into the unknown, to that darkness and like getting in my own way, getting in my comfort zone, I'm able to like restart, start building out my vision for my future and how I see things going with my, my apparel brand, my coaching group, my, my media team that I'm working on right now. Um, and just like content, like who, who am I going to show up as today? And like, how am I going to provide the most value? Because at the end of the day, dude, we're all figuring out this life shit and I can sit on the sideline or I can be the star of my own movie. So why wouldn't I want to live my best life? Why wouldn't I want to make the most impact? Why wouldn't I want to fucking be the most uncomfortable that I can be? Because that's where I'm going to grow. And that's if I don't grow, I'm not going to impact shit. Yeah. You know, so yeah. And you see my life here. It's kind of chaotic. Um, <laughs> yeah, it uh, is. Yeah. But I like it. Goats, chickens, fucking construction. Yeah, homesteading. What's that? Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah, we... Yeah, a lot. I notice it's very... Um, you live in an environment that's very smooth and stable, but at the same time, it's frenetic because of all the go, go, go. Do, do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy the constant movement? I like the challenge because I look at everything in my life differently now. So, like, oh, if I need to come up with money for this... How am I going to go earn that money? Hey, I'm going to go do this. Now I have a problem to solve. And same, yeah. Yeah, and it makes it interesting because it keeps me on my toes and it keeps me honest. And as you know, I just had a son. He's six and a half months, and you know, you hear the stories. Oh, I have a kid. I can't do that. My wife and I are like completely not that because those are just stories we tell ourselves. And you know, we have that ability to change our story and rewrite our story. I mean, shit, we talked about homesteading a year ago. I was in my mom's house in, in Texas playing with like, I, I, I staged this photo for social media. It was like, she had these, like, she's, she likes collecting rooster sculptures and statues and shit. And I had them on her kitchen counter and I wore this like fucking like Indiana Jones hat. And I'm like, Oh, I'm just getting ready for homesteading. And sure shit. A year later, dude, I have 21 chickens, <laughs> fucking four goats. Uh, you know, and I'm like, I didn't ever grew up this way. I knew nothing about it. Um, I just know that I want to be able to provide for my family I want to be able to have something that's mine. I don't like big cities. I live that life. I, I realize that I want to be able to learn what it's like to be self-sufficient. I want to be able to continue to defy the norm so I can impact other people. Because if I don't know this shit, there's a lot of people that don't know this stuff. Oh, yeah. And, you know, where this world is going, who knows what could happen. And none of my moves are made out of fear. They're just made out of growth. I now, dude, putting food on my table that, you know, I, I grew myself or I, you know, processed myself, that's... That's crazy, dude. Yeah, I never grew up that way. And, you know, doing that here in my own house, like we have this growth tower that you've seen inside our house, dude, that eating my salad that comes from that thing, you know, like my wife planted that shit and it's feeding my family. That's like, and it's feeding my friends. Like, it's crazy. I've had some of that. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And I've never got to live that life. You know, I never even like started fires until, you know, I come out here this last winter and I'm like doing fires and, 
you know, Dude, I you're in the Marines. You got to start fires all the time. Yeah. <laughs> With grenades. One of the biggest myths ever. <laughs> yeah. Not, not me. Hey, put out the, the fire. We're not the Boy Scouts. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely not the Boy Scouts. I think I started a fire in Sears School and Sniper School, and that was that was it. You know, half my career I was in a bush, but there's no fires there. No jet boils, no sleeping bags, just cami paint, fucking soggy butt because you're sitting in a pile of water, hungry stomach. And a lot of tobacco, you know, <laughs> a lot of dip. Hey, it sucks. Live with it. Yeah. <laughs> so what's what's next? You know, you you've done the van thing. I'm sure you didn't see that going to homesteading, or you had no idea. What's what's after this? Is homesteading the way of life? Is this where you're headed? Is Sandpoint the destination? Uh, we're just in the process of like. You know, we're trying to build out a community. Uh, I ended up wanting my own, like, killing retreat center, and that's why we bought this property to, like, f- do that. Um, you know, I, I want to serve, you know, but I want to serve at my highest level. So, like, what's next is, like, dude, I'm building big shit. You know, I actually have a team that backs me up, uh, that's just making me a better person, that believes in me, believes in the message. And, I mean, that's pretty powerful. I mean, I've been wanting a team for years now, and, I've been in this whole process of like getting in my own way and, you know, I was trying to do everything myself, you know, I have to got to figure this out myself. I'm just like, dude, that's so stupid. And that's what I tell people too. Like, why are you trying to figure this out yourself? Like you don't have as much time as you think you do. None of us do. And so, yeah, you might be able to get out of this situation right now by yourself in a, in a couple of years, maybe a few months, who knows. But then what happens? You hit the next bump, right? And so like, I want to provide this service where I can like help people get out of their own way. And in doing so, I'm getting my own way. I'm just always leveling up. I'm always challenging. So, dude, I'm building a huge media marketing team. Dude, in like five years, I'm going to have like multiple coaches that are like around the world that are fucking impacting people's lives, that are helping them, you know, build blueprints to build a life they want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to have that. That's going to happen like five, seven years. Like that's, and then from there, dude, Tony Robbins, watch out, bro, because like we're gonna be sharing stage together. We're just gonna be crushing the world together. And I'm into that stuff, dude, because I'm really into the mind. I'm really into belief systems. I'm really into like us as humans, dude. We're so freaking powerful. We're so strong, but we live inside of our minds. Mm-hmm. And so many people are programmed to operate under scarcity and fear. And I know I've done that before, and my life, you know, was affected by that. And you know. Dude, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but if I can impact one life and that person can change their life and they can impact one life, bro, that's how we can change the world, you know? So, instead of me trying to be the one that has to single-handedly do it, I just need to show up, do my part, and let the puzzle come together, you know? But I can't be part of that puzzle if I don't show up and actually, like, put myself in these weird, very uncomfortable situations where I'm, like, showing up and, hey, everybody, I have a coaching group. And they're like, you know, who is this guy? And, like... Once again, they're going to judge you whether you win or whether you lose. Yeah. So, if I know that to be true, why am I stopping? Yeah. And to me, that's what like all leveling up is about. It's like, I'm not stopping because I'm scared. I know this is just part of the process and, you know, catch me on the flip side, bro, because I ain't staying where I'm at. And uh, to me, that's inspiring. I have plenty of people that say, dude, my life has changed just watching your shit. And I'm just like, dude, that's fucking dope. Don't stop. You know, how could I ever repay you? I'm like, keep on fucking winning. That's how you can repay me. Keep on winning and let your friends know that you're winning. Yeah. You know, encourage others to do the same thing. Whatever winning means to you, money, family, communication, relationships, like all these things, all these areas that I took it for granted. And then once I started to regain my life back and like, you know, who I am and what I'm here to do, I'm just like, bro, I ain't stopping. 
Yeah. I can't stop. Yeah. I remember sitting there in the middle of my master's program. <clears throat> I was getting my master's in emerging media and communication from UT Dallas. And, you know, it was the first pilot program to ever do that. It was essentially social media in uh, a master's program. And I remember being in the middle of it and just sitting there in the classroom and thinking, I'm about to be chained to a desk for the rest of my life. And that thought scared the hell out of me. Mm. Sitting there thinking that, thinking I'm about to become another zombie. Just some ambulant, you know, buying into society, everything that I've been told I need to do. Watching my dad work a blue-collar job for so long. and just hate it, right? I'm just watching that, like, death by a thousand paper cuts. And then thinking, oh, I'm never going to change the world. And then thinking, this is the moment I had an awakening. This hurts. I'm scared. I need to change something. And then picking up a camera. That was it. I mean, I had no photography history whatsoever. Stepping in this room being told, oh, you're 25, you're too old for this. Like, you know, guys who were in the successful photography territory had been making money off of it since they were 13. And then I'm stepping in at 25. And it's scary, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but I knew, I always felt, like, even since I was younger, like there was something greater for me. And that might sound cheesy, but no. I felt like there was something greater for me. And being in the middle of that master's program, then waking up and filling those chains, you know, grasp my legs and arms and pull me in and go, you're going to do this capitalism. You're going to, you know, try to make this much money. You got to start at this. And there's a lot of money in social media, baby. You start in that social media master's program and you're coming out as a social media manager. You're making 90 K to start. And it only goes up from there as a consultant. I mean, I have guy, I have friends that made a hundred thousand in a weekend. Like you can make some cheddar. And, but I didn't care about that, man. Oh, I wanted to impact one life. But more than that, I had a passion to sell stories. You have a passion to change lives. That passion comes from a very genuine place. You've seen how you can impact lives. What do you want people to remember? How do you want people to remember Cody Alford? Like, what, what's, what's your legacy on this earth? And does that matter to you that much? At first, I would say no, but now it does. You know, I want people to think of. You know, I had people tell me messages like, "Dude, I don't know. You know, don't know me, but I was in the gym today and I didn't want to work out, and I was just thinking, what would Cody, what would Cody say to me?" And that's what I want people to fucking remember. You know, I want, I want that because it's not about me. It's the fact that some dude that doesn't even know me personally, and I don't know them personally, they were at some point in their life they wanted to give up on themselves. Mm. And they thought about this guy named Cody Alpha they see on Instagram. They don't know if he's a douche in real life or not, but they know that if this dude was here at this gym with me right now, what would he say to me? And that was enough for that person to keep on going. Mm. And we all need a hero. You know, we all need someone that's like, that reminds us that it doesn't stop here. You know, you're never... <laughs> You're never out of the game. Right. It's just a matter of what are you believing in. Because if you believe you're out, you're done. But some people don't even know that they can change their lives. Yeah. And to to know that I'm just putting myself out there and, and just showing people, A, through a living testament because I'm that person. But to have them be like, dude, I just think about you. Like, what would you say? And it, like, if I can or go to your video and I watch it, it reminds me to like, you know, not quit and do this thing. I'm like, dude, that's fucking awesome. And it makes me feel good because all those times I wanted to quit on myself, you know, I literally have exactly what I asked for right in front of me. I wanted to change lives. And, you know, I don't know the exact number, but these messages, onesies, twosies, as they come in, I'm like, 
all right, dude, that was definitely worth the 20 comments that told me I was a piece of shit. You know, <laughs> that was definitely worth the, the shit talking that I got from people that, you know, think I'm, you know, whatever. Cause I'm not talking like another fucking veteran or I'm not telling like cool ninja stories all the time. Like, you know, I want to be me yeah, and I don't want to be whored out and used f- and, you know, for the things that people exploit. Yeah. You know, um, I have a voice and I have a fucking consciousness, you know, and, and I'm here to fucking do my part. You know, I'm here to f- rise to the calling that most people just fucking avoid it because it looks like work because it requires commitment and it requires you to fucking evolve and to evolve as a human is absolutely scary. They'll believe in that the process of evolution, they'll believe the fucking story, but to think that they're capable of doing it themselves is almost like asking them to walk on water. They think it's absolutely impossible. Uh, the thing is, people just don't believe that they can change their environments, change their situations. And I'm like, bro, fuck that, dude. Like, we want to change this world. We want to do better. We want to like, we have to be at ourselves. We have to be our best person. You know, we have to, we have to fucking take the action. We have to have belief. We have to have a voice. And if we don't, how's everyone else? Some people need to see that. Some people need to see someone else do it before they take that leap of faith. Not because they're just scared. They just don't even know it's possible. Mm. And so, you know, instead of assuming that people are just scared, you know, why aren't they standing up for what they believe in? Well, they don't even know that they can. They've never been shown that in their life. The parents are pushovers. Their friends are pushovers. Their environment's a bunch of losers. And <coughs> when you show them, and I use my background as like this, like, calling card that I don't even fucking utilize. I'm just like, yo, dude, I have some experience in like a lot of shit that I'm not an expert in, but I got some historical experience about different things and all these leadership experiences and different ways to like interact with things and problem solve and problem frame, um, you know, and to be able to bring all that and talk about the shit that I talk about, you know, finding happiness, finding peace, smiling, meditating, jumping, dancing, Um, telling people you're sorry, forgiving fucking people, you know, reaching out for help, changing your life, you know, bro, that is epic, dude. And I used to like downplay it a lot, but like, I'm really stoked on the fact that I, this is, this is what I do. You know, some people are stoked on what they do. I'm stoked exactly what I'm doing and where I'm going. Cause it's only getting better. I'm only bringing in more people that are enhancing their lives around me. And when I do that, my life's going to enhance. And when my life enhances, I get to provide more value to people because I'm learning new shit. And it's just a constant cycle. And I'm like, dude, I love life. Yeah. And when I go back to those parts where I was struggling so hard and I remember like, fuck, there's someone out there that's struggling hard right now. You know, what message can I say to them? And so I go fucking do that. I go live that life. Hey, if I'm having a hard time, but yesterday was great. I let people know I'm struggling today because I'm human. This mm-hmm. shit's going to happen. Cause social media makes people think that there's so many perfect lives out there and that even the, the most wealthiest guy or the most, you know, motivational guy that their life is perfect. And that's simply not true. One of my business coaches or, or life coaches that I that I have is my mentor. He talks about all the time, like how he's a fucking prick half the time, and you know he goes through all sorts of shit. But he's evolving. He's not afraid to say those things, and that is what freedom is. You know, to like have a voice and have a pulse in your own life, and not be a slave to your mind or the fear of what other people are going to think about you. Who cares, bro? I've got a friend that's extremely successful money wise, and obviously. I won't bring his name into the mix, but I remember having this talk with him and, you know, like his name's on the building, right? He's one of those guys. And uh, he's got the beautiful wife and he's got this incredible life that he's constructed. And 
he was in Marine Corps and did all these incredible things in the Marine Corps and then outside of it is now doing other incredible things. And I was talking to him and I was like, man, dude, you're like in this country this week and then another country this week and you're just living it, bro. And he said, I always keep suicide in my back pocket as the nuclear football. I can always push that button if I need to. And I was like, dear God, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's heavy. I was like, I that sounds horrible. <laughs> that escalated quickly. Yeah. <laughs> like, that sounds terrible to me. Like, aren't you curious about where you can go with that? Aren't you curious about what's on the other side of that? Aren't you curious about getting better from that? Like, that's not a healthy way to live. And I'm interested in people that are fine with that state of being, right? Walking that edge, that fine line all the time. So I find it fascinating that people like you've gotten out and been in these dark places, you know, been to heavy, in heavy combat, stepped out of it, recognize the situation, um, and, and know that, Hey, I need to, I need to figure out a way to step away from this. Like, it's okay to be there for a little bit, but we got to move through that, right? You can't just stay there. I, 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 I hear the talk all the time. I thought this was very interesting from a friend of mine. It's like, you feel like you need to feel better sometimes and you feel like you need to be happy. But sometimes in those moments, you just need to realize depression for what it is. And like, I need to be here for this. Like, I should be depressed right now. And that's okay. You know? I mean, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, we want to avoid the resistance. Yeah. But the resistance is what helps shape you and, yeah. you know, paves you to where you're supposed to be at today. And, you know, people are afraid of the hard shit. Well, guess what? The hard shit's what has created you to everything. Um, but it's so funny, man. People will martyr themselves. People will sacrifice themselves for so many different causes and belief systems out there. But when it comes to them freeing their own selves, when it comes to them setting up for their own self, when it comes to them speaking their own truth, they're petrified. Oh, yeah. And it's just crazy to think that you can have all this power elsewhere, but you possess none for yourself. And that's why I always challenge people. I'm like, dude, then how the hell do you have a belief system? If you don't even believe in you, how can you believe in anything else? You know, because you're going to have to have that why inside you to continue forward. Or you become that person that has, oh, I got suicide in my back pocket, if worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah. You know, like how many of our friends need to... You know, how many, how many more friends are we going to be told are heroes and badasses, right? They're just great dads and husbands and great dudes on teams. How many more of those stories are going to be told and they kill themselves? Yeah. Well, how fucking great were they, you know? Yeah. Let's really, let's really ask the hard question Agreed. because, you know, people, oh, so-and-so kill themselves. Let's fucking feel bad. You know what? That was the only option. Yeah. That was the only option, really. And why do these men and women think that is the option? Yeah. You know, how many more fucking stories need to happen where, you know, that people are telling their stories like, hey, get help. It's not a big deal. But yet, these amazing, brave people are fucking killing themselves still. Yeah. Why? Yeah. What What is going on? This is just showing you that some people don't want to do the fight. They don't want to do the hard work and nothing worth anything comes easy. And when you're fighting for your life inside your mind, when you're battling depression, when you're battling these stigmas, dude, you got to show up committed to the fact that I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. I don't even know how I'm going to make it through today. Yeah. All I know is I'm going to put one foot forward. You know, why are, I can't stand dudes. I, I don't even have, I cut off friends that are dudes that like can't even tell me how they're feeling. I'm like, bro, you can't even tell me how you're feeling. 
you can't even tell me your friend that you're fucking depressed or like you're scared about something. You're nervous. I'm like, that's why I tell people all these things. You're like, Cody, you cry. I'm like, fuck yeah, I cry, dude. Fuck yeah, I cry. Hell yeah. Me tell, too. Tell yeah, tell you if I'm going through a hard time. I cry more in my life now than I've ever cried in my entire life. Yeah. Why am I going to suppress that, dude? I'm not going to be a statistic. You've got me all wrong. <laughs> you know? And like these men that kill themselves, like, do I think they're weak? I'm like, I think they didn't want to win as bad as they said they did. Yeah. You know, and mm. that sucks to say, but That's dude, a point. but not everybody wants to live, you know, not everybody wants to free themselves. Not everybody wants to find a belief. Not everybody wants to make it out on the other side. And that's very apparent in this world. And it's not just veterans that are killing themselves and struggling. It's these fucking kids that are being, they're being raised by technology. They're being raised by, you know, fucking unicorns in classrooms now. Like there, there's all sorts of crazy things that are happening and skewing up these kids' perceptions of what, you know, reality is. And when their parents are fucking weak because they're slaves to the system and they're not motivated to change anything and they're, they, they, you know, just <laughs> push off responsibilities because it looks like work yeah. or they think they're too far gone and they can't salvage anything. Bro, what happens when that kid's getting bullied in high school and they want to fucking kill themselves too or they think that's normal or they have f- not friends but like peer groups that are telling them like, you know what, you should just die. No one cares about you. Well, fuck, it's probably going to be really hard to think that your life is worth it when you're feeling in that low vibrational state, when you think that, you know, no one really cares about you. Yeah. Or yeah. these 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 men, these literally brave men. Dudes, you hear stories about like, oh my God, they were great leaders, they were great husbands, and then you just hear they fucking kill themselves. You're like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah. Because then you have these guys that put these dudes on pedestals, right? that don't see and don't acknowledge the telltale signs that are there. And then one day these guys kill themselves and now they challenge themselves. They're like, well, fuck if so-and-so kill themselves. What's going to keep me from doing it? Yep. Cause this person was like a God. Yep. And it just, the system continues until it fucking changes. You know, I think it takes a lot of courage, you know, I've, I've held the gun before, you know, I've, I've had those thoughts before and I wasn't brave enough to pull the trigger cause I wanted to live. Me too. And even going through the motion of those things, it was almost like I was programmed. Yeah. Like movies and TV and fucking history told me, that's what I'm supposed to do. Combat vet, military veteran, military active duty person. I'm supposed to drink, you know, alcohol (laughs) and have a, you know, a 1911 by my bedside (laughs) and fucking wear all the fucking, my friends died bracelets these are my memories of them, but really what I'm doing is, is like holding on to shit, not moving forward, right? Yeah. And in my personal opinion and personal belief, it's fucking doing a disservice for most of the times because these guys are holding themselves back. They're, they're viewing the, their deaths at fucking anchor's vice, more resemblance to fucking live your life and go all in. What was the best lesson that your fucking friend that's not here anymore taught you? Go live that. Go fucking mm-hmm. teach that. Go be a disciple of that shit. Stop. Stop fucking being sorry for yourself, living in the same story you're telling yourself. You're the fucking victim. You're the combat veteran. Don't fire the firecrackers next to me. Blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> victim, 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 victim. And, but how brave and how much, how courage it must take to be like, you know what? I'm checking out. Yeah. To know that you can, tr- there's, there's equal, there's yin and yang to life. If there's a shitty sunny day or a shitty rainy day, guess what? There's a beautiful sunny day. Yeah. Just around the corner. And every storm fucking passes, but some people aren't brave enough to fucking just weather the storm. And so they, they find this, this extreme amounts of courage 
to fucking do the ultimate fucking deed, right? Yeah. There's yeah. no tag backs after that. But to 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 like, I can't change my life. I just can feel myself in these these fucking thought processes that's going on, and it just hurts and it's heavy. And like, what part of their belief system were they ever told that they weren't good enough? You know, what part of their friendships were they told like, hey man, you matter to me? Or what were they ever told that hey, you don't matter to me? Like, why are these guys and these girls? Why do they feel like they can't fucking change their life? Out of they they fucking survived all the things they survived. Yeah. What makes it think they can't do this? But the thing is, we live in a society where it's all about individualism. We live in a society where it's it's about the greater good, not the individual. And the greater good is a fucking bunch of individuals, and it's not a community based construct. It's it's these like individual personalities that are forming these fake societies. Mm-hmm. We live in a fucking society where people come home, they turn on Netflix, they don't even know who their neighbor is, they don't even see sunlight, and they fucking like veg out, and then they go work a job they complain about yep. for a fucking you know, car they can't afford to spend 45 minutes a day in it, not even driving 12 miles, uh, to formulate debt, to dream about the picket fence, to, to pray about their 401k, to hopefully be able to retire at 65, to finally be able to do the shit they want to do, to realize that they're too fucking old or they're broken because they eat like shit. They don't take care of themselves. And they realize the money they invest in these fucking 401ks have completely depreciated and they don't have enough money to survive. Yeah. And now they're spending the rest of the years fucking stress you know, low vibrational states, filling themselves with regret. What kind of, that does not sound like a fun life to me. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, most of them die very soon after retiring because they have no purpose left in life. Yeah. And that's an official statistic. I think it was like most people that retire have died within five years. Dude, my dad passed away one year later. Wow. Yeah, 42 years in law enforcement and literally died one fucking year later. Jeez. And, you know, for a year, he wasn't really doing much, you know? Yeah. 42 fucking years. That's a long-ass chapter of life. Yeah. But thing is, if you can look at your life as fucking chapters and not the finite, the, not the, the, the end-all, be-all, chapters, not a fucking book. It's chapters of a book. And if you can look at your life that way, then you can make a new chapter. Yep. You go, I'm fuck, I picked up banjo at 36, <laughs> you know, because I told myself for years I could never learn it. Yeah. That I could never learn music. So, the fucking day I bought it, I went over and I got a damn lesson and I've been doing it ever since, you know? Like, we don't have to fucking live out these stigmas. We don't have to be who we were yesterday. If we're a depressive, suicidal, you know, turd nugget today because we just hate everybody and we don't think that we can change our lives and it's the best thing to do to fucking we just can't catch a break and we think the best thing to do is to throw away our one in 400 trillion chance to even be alive to fucking smoke ourselves so we really think that we're going to make society a better place that way then we are just the epitome of a fucking victim mm-hmm. and when you are a victim you literally have to go to the nearest mirror and ask yourself bro do I want to fucking do this do I want to be courageous enough to fucking cash out because it's hard and I know that I don't want to do the work or I don't think I can do the work because it looks very challenging and it's unknown. And I don't have the money and I don't have the, t- I don't know what to fucking do or don't want to be courageous as fuck and be like, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to fucking find a way. You know, you don't eat an elephant all at once. You eat it one bite at a time. You know, when you're going to Mecca, you don't, you're not, you can't even see your destination. You go one step in front of the other and you keep walking. No matter what storm comes your way, no matter how fucking hot it is, no matter how distracted it is or your mind plays on you, just keep on walking. Because people have this thing that someone's going to come fucking save them. 
But no matter how much I tell my story, people are still killing themselves. No matter how much I encourage my friends to go all fucking big in life, they still hold themselves back. So the truth of the matter is, no one's going to fucking come change it for you. You're going to have to change it yourself. And that's where the power of free will and fucking believing in yourself come into place. And some of these guys and girls, what hurts my soul is that they had to believe in themselves to do damn near anything in their life. So how is this different? But because it's unknown and it's, it's maybe by themselves, they figure out that it's uncharted waters and it's kind of easier just to run your ship ashore than it is to keep on fucking going because you think you're going to fall off the fucking earth. Yep. But through the unknown is where you find growth and prosperity, not through the fucking comforts of like your your your, your pain points. You keep on. You have to go to the areas that you're unfamiliar with. Mm, yep. You know. But people have it all wrong. They. They just keep it inside and they fucking become a statistic and then that hurts hearts and that breaks hearts and, you know, more nonprofits are created and it's just a fucking <laughs> perpetual cycle. And, and I'm glad nonprofits are fucking created and that can help fucking suicide. But we have to ask ourselves, really, especially in the veteran community, are we really doing any fucking thing different? Yeah. Are we doing anything different? The answer is no. People are still killing themselves. So, the thing is, whatever numbers mess- aren't going down. The message is fucking wrong, right? We got to stop with this fucking GoFundMe. We gotta. We need to take care of the fucking families. Sure, fuck yeah. We owe it to these families, but we need. We gotta start addressing this shit differently. We gotta start letting people know, like, hey, bro, listen. I know your life sucks. I know it's hard. I know you think you can't escape it, but what are you doing to change it? Yeah. And when you give people back their power, mm-hmm. they find permission within to go fucking change their life. But when you just tell them how their life's fucked up, or how, yo, bro, I know you're going through some hard shit. But, uh, you know, if you need to talk, I'm here. No, that's not, that's not direction. Like, hey, dude, I know you're going through some hard shit. I know you're probably not going to want to talk to me. But listen, you either want to fucking live or you don't want to live. Those are really your two options. And I went through this shit myself, too, and I'm still fucking here because I'm not fucking bitching out myself like that. Yeah. I owe it to my fucking self. I owe it to the fucking people that believed in me. I owe it to my fucking friends that aren't fucking here today, whether they kill themselves or die on the fucking battlefield. I owe it to fucking live on and push the fucking fight. And if you don't want to fucking do that, at least understand and acknowledge the terms of the shit you're telling yourself. Because sometimes when you hear the fact that, like, fuck, I am giving up, I'm choosing not to fucking put in the hard work. I'm choosing to do that. Doesn't mean they're not going to kill themselves. But now they have fucking buy-in. Like, hey, you going to fucking do this? Please believe in it. Please believe in it. Don't just be like, oh, it's going to be the easiest thing. Believe in the fact that you are choosing to be a fucking victim. You're choosing to fucking quit on yourself. You're choosing to be so fucking selfish that all these people you said you love, you're willing to fucking break their goddamn hearts, crush their fucking souls, possibly make them fucking follow you because you're so goddamn selfish. Mm. You are too fucking scared to beg, cry, plead for fucking help. Mm-hmm. That hurts me because that's what it fucking took for me to get help in a command that wasn't really in tune with the shit that was going on at the time. You know, that's what it took for me. That's what it takes for other people. You know, you hear all these success stories. Oh, I used to be a fucking crackhead, heroin addict, fucking drug dealer at 14, locked up all these times. And to the one point, they're like, dude, I got to change my life yep. or I'm going to end up fucking dead on the streets. How many more overdoses do I need? And they they do it all the time. So, it's not a matter of like, you're stuck. You're never too far gone. No. And and I just want more people to know that, dude. You have so much fucking power, but no one's going to give it to you. You have to claim it. You have to accept it. You got to put in the work. Yep. Because if life was a fucking, life is a gift, your entry into this world is a fucking gift. Mm-hmm. That's the only freebie you get. Everything else, you fucking work for it. You got to work for your belief system. You got to work for your fucking family. You got to work for the shit you think is insane, is important to you. There's no fucking handouts in life. No. Nope. 
people think they can just go around here and just fuck off and like not put any work into themselves. And, and you know, society, some society believes in this fucking place called heaven. Like, oh, I'm just going to give 90%. 90% of my fucking life, I'm only going to put out 90% because the other 10% is really hard. I just, I really don't need to because things are good. But they want this fucking glory. They want this like golden fucking castle at the end of the day. Hmm. But what stones are they fucking setting in place to fucking even pave the path to get to that point? You know, like, why would you want to know personally that you're not even committing to your own fucking life? Yeah. Dude, if you're listening to this right now, you're having a hard time with a why, commit to your life, because that's a big fucking why. Commit to your mm-hmm. life. Like, I commit to life. I Everyone here has that one thing they're being called upon to do inside. Everybody. Every, I don't care what religion you believe in what fucking space program you believe in. I don't care. Someone, everyone listening to this that's not a fucking robot has that one thing they feel inside when they close their eyes, they see the message, they hear the voice, they feel the thing inside their fucking chest and they're being called upon to rise in some capacity. They might not have a complete clarity on what their why is, but they there's that repeating system. There's that repeating thing inside like, hey, go try this. Pick up that camera. Just raise your hand. Break up with that person. You know, they, there's that one thing they're fucking avoiding right now. And they'll address everything else. They'll fucking remodel their kitchen before they fucking schedule an appointment to like talk to a fucking shrink. Right. Or go to the gas station and buy bags of ice to go hop in a, in a cold plunge. Because they're like, how's this going to change my life? Well, what if it does change your life? Can you afford to not try something different? Mm. You know, and people are just looking at these problems like they're fucking pigeonholed and, and I can't change them. Dude, my mom's 72 and she's like changed all sorts of shit about her life. She's like, Cody, you motivate me. I'm like, holy fuck, mom. Thanks. You motivate me. <laughs> and she's like, I tell all my friends. She's like, you're just choosing to be a victim. I'm like, damn, mom, you're cutthroat, bro. <laughs> and she's like, but it is. I don't have time to be around that. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, fuck, you motivate me. Yeah. So true. And but we can do this if we if we if we rise together, if we help each other out. And, and we can just help each other out by just being ourselves. And if you're a fucking badass fucking dude that's done all sorts of badass things, or maybe you're not a badass dude, you're just a dude that you think no one cares about, but you're going through a hard time, let people know, man, because you have no idea. Uh, you know, a, a quiet mouth doesn't get fucking fed. You know, the the quiet cogs don't get the fucking grease, the squeaky ones get it. You gotta fight for your shit here. You gotta fight. For the things that you believe in, you got to fight for this life because hmm. there's a bunch of factors that are trying to bring you down and make you feel like you have no power, that you're insignificant, and that you're not in control. Yep. So, you can choose to be a statistic, which proves that point, or you can literally defy the norm and go completely against the fucking grain, kick and fucking scream until you get the assistance and help that you need. And I promise you, in doing so, you're going to impact more lives than you ever thought you fucking would, just by you betting on yourself. Mm. And if people would just do that, if they would just commit to that fucking scary part of life, man, what kind of life could you live? Mm. You ain't got to live my life, but what kind of life could you live, bro? Like, what kind of life could you live if you got out of your own way and you said, you know what? Hey, I believe in this thing called God, but I don't believe in myself to to fucking change my life, to face my demons, to work on these things. Or I don't believe in these things, but I don't really believe myself either. Well, reanalyze your life. How'd you make it through anything in life by not believing in yourself? Yeah. So, at some point in time, you definitely believed in yourself. At some point in time, you definitely did something scary, whether you took training wheels off a fucking bicycle, you jumped off a cliff with your friends at the creek, like... At some point, you did something that's fucking completely scary, unknown, and unsure if you're ever going to be able to do it, but you did it. 
So, how is that any different to do anything else in your life? Mm. You know, it's like, it might be a different tasting food, but it's still complex. You know, you still have to do the recipe. You still have to follow these these things. You still have to vest like energy into to creating it, you know, but it's still the same thing. You have to show up. You have to fucking say, you know what? I don't know how to cook this meal, but I'm going to cook it and see what happens. You have to not be afraid to fail. People want to kill themselves before they even want a, ch- a chance to fail something. Like, dude, having a chance to fail something is a fucking gift because there's a chance to fail. There's a chance to succeed. And, but we don't want to look at it that way. People are like, mm. I'm scared to start. Like, bitch, do you know starting something, you increase your chances of success by 50%. 50%? You don't even have a 50% chance in a lot of things in life. Yeah. But you can create a 50% fucking chance on yourself by just starting that one thing, going to that one thing, doing that one thing that you're avoiding. So, you know, putting power back into people and showing them with through words and actions that like, yo, dude, whatever you're fucking going through, you can let that be the downfall of you or you can let it be the catalyst that fucking catapults you to new heights, new levels, right? Mm. There's enough money for everyone to win. There's enough fucking abundance for everyone to fucking be successful. There's enough land out there for you to create your own fucking homestead in the future. Dis- you know, disregarding what's being told to you by the fear porn out there designed to keep you small, to keep you inside, to have to, to completely destroy your belief system, mm. you know? And so you want to be part of that society or you want to go create one? You know, you want to be part of the solution, part of the problem. You want to be part of the fucking solution. You got to invest, you got to double down on yourself. You got to change yourself before you change the world. But people try to change the world for the change themselves. So that's mm. why they fucking come up short. Yeah. They're running on fumes. They're, they're not, they're avoiding the fucking work. They're avoiding the solitude. They're avoiding this, the hard shit, you know? And, but that's okay. Some people want that. But I'm just a firm believer in like, at least you know. Mm-hmm. you know. If you grew up the whole entire life and you're only told there's green apples and one day some guy tells you there's red apple, your fucking mind is blown. Dude, when I found out a pickle was a cucumber, blew my mind. <laughs> that simple perspective. I never yeah. knew that, dude. I, how the fuck would I have known that? Yeah. I never knew that. And when my friend told me, my mind was blown. <laughs> well, I blew minds when I told him, yeah, dude, you could go talk to a psychiatrist and be on Adderall and still keep your super secret ninja five <laughs> clearance. <laughs> what? I can do that? Yeah, you can still go work for that one place that you want to go work to as a 100% VA, you know, disability pay and rating. Yeah. What? I can do that? Yeah, you can do that. Whoa, but we want to build these scenarios that aren't even based off fucking truth. We just rather assume that we can't vice fucking assume that we can. It's like, seriously, like you are literally writing your own masterpiece in life. How do you want to show up at? Do you want to be the fucking, you ever see that movie, um, oh, executive decision with Steven Seagal? Oh yeah. yeah. Great movie. Of course. Steven Seagal, man, he dies in like the first 10 minutes, a little bit longer, but like 15 minutes. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, this main character, just the big name guy just gets killed off in the first 15 minutes. I'm like, what the fuck? He clearly did not write that script. Because in the script that I write, dude, I'm fucking all in. Yeah. I'm fucking, I'm winning big. I'm the main, dude, I'm the main character. Hell, I'm even the backup singers. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm the main show. I'm the main act. I'm the star player. Why wouldn't I want to be? I'm writing the story. Why would I want to write the story that says, I'm a fucking loser, I don't believe in myself, and the world is out to get me? Why would I want to write the story if I literally am gifted this power of fucking creation? 
where I can take a pen out and write on a sheet of paper the type of life that I want to live. Why would I want to write, I'm a fucking loser, I'm a victim, woe is me, my life will never change. Why would I want to do that? Mm. And as powerful as it is to take out a pen and write on paper, you can fucking, that's literally how you change your life. You got to change your story. Tony Robbins even says it, right? Like all these big guys say it. You have to change the stories that you're telling yourself. And the only way you're going to fucking do that is literally by defying the norm. Because the norm wants you to stay the same and do what your fucking friends are doing. Well, reevaluate what your friends are doing. They're just getting drunk, talking shit, doing the same old things, and you're really inside not really feeling that anymore. Bro, you got to cut some things off. You know? If if everyone's toxic, guess what? Chances are you're going to be toxic. If all your friends are poor, guess what? The chance of you ever breaking out of that cycle and not being poor is probably slim to none. Who's there to motivate you? Who's there to inspire you? You know, but people aren't even realizing that they're a product of their environment. People aren't even realizing that they have actually more control of their life than they give themselves credit for. But that takes some consciousness, you know, some consciousness creation to happen and to be present and to look around and analyze your life. And that's that's hard for people. It was really hard for me. But guess what? I kept on doing it. Got a lot of shit talked to me. Still get some shit talked to me. And I don't give a fuck because mm-hmm. I'm not the same person I was last week, last month, last year. And where I'm going, it's not. It, I can't be the same person. You know, so powerful, man, Cody, thank you so much for sharing your perspective. I, uh, I've always wanted to hear it. I mean, I'd seen it on Instagram, Facebook and everything, but to be able to hear it in person, to watch it and watch you live it out is pretty powerful. So that's incredible. So thank you for being a part of the project. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Very honored. Where do we, uh, go to see y'all? Your stuff. Instagram, obviously, we defy the norm. Yep. Uh, I got a website, uh, CodyAlfer.com, that has like all my links. It's basically okay. like it's, uh, all my platforms. Uh, my company, WeDefyTheNorm.com. It's also the same thing on Instagram. And then on Instagram for me, it's the Cody Alford. Okay. Um, yeah, pretty straightforward. Awesome. So we'll post all those links. Uh, we appreciate it. And thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. All right. Well, you heard it. If you're if you're in that space uh, and you're looking for a change, you just set the no. You know, you just need to look into uh, weedifythenorm.com. Check out codyalford.com, and it's all there. Uh, thanks again for coming on, and uh, appreciate you and your perspective. Looking forward to what the future has for you, my man. And for those of you listening, don't forget. Most of all, uh, our legacies are the mission. This has been the Veterans Project Podcast with our founder, Tim Kay. Check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram at The Veterans Project, Facebook, The Veterans Project, and Twitter at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, our legacies are the mission.